Boxcaster online. Authorization accepted. Uplink confirmed. Begin transmission. The warrior's war gear bore an ornate cuirass dressed in brass and gold. Across his chest was the head of a fierce eagle, and rising up behind his helm was a heavy plate of armor that was cut into another raptor shape. But what seemed strange was the absence of all other detail. Each of the legions of the Adeptus Astartes bore their colors proudly and carried the symbol of their brotherhood on the pauldron of their armor. This one had none. Aside from a few flashes of dark-colored trim, his armor was a uniform stone gray from helm to boot, bereft of iconography. Who are you? The Astartes halted. Can you tell me that? Before you go, at least let me know the name and legion of the warrior who saved our lives. For a moment, the Astartes paused. Then he reached up, and removed his helmet. A pale, patrician face, shorn and scarred, looked back at Olin with ancient, troubled eyes. My name is Nathaniel Garrow, and I am a legion of one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After Olinor. Uh, this is a Odd one, this is not going to be numbered as seven. I think this is going to be lettered because this is the first of our Off the Beaten Path um, series. And here to tell you more about that is my co-host, Greg Dan. Am I indeed with all the information? (laughs) This is our... uh, I'm sorry, I totally just sprung this on him and then threw it at him. I was just trying to put you on the spot and see what you did with it. That's fine. This is our, um, our, our Garrow special Audio special. Yeah. It to shut people up. <laughs> Everyone was asking for it. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, that's fine. I mean, I thought it was cool. Yeah, no, it's fine. You know, people uh, You know, people wanted to hear it, and, it, and they, they were really good. All right, and before we get to the books, though, Greg, you have been, uh, you have been moonlighting on the podcast, uh, on the podcast circuit, haven't you? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Got the bug. So tell everyone about your new uh, your new show. Yes, I've started a, a generic Horus Heresy show. So talking about anything to do with the heresy, um, with no restrictions on when we talk about stuff that happens. So if you have an interest in the heresy and you don't mind... No, you know, uh, the hosts talking about stuff that's much more recent than we do on this show. Um, we we also talk about gaming. There's all the background, all the gaming, painting. We'll be doing the whole lot. Then come find us at the Imperial Truth. You can search for us on. We're on iTunes. We've got a website. We've got a Facebook site, and all that usual malarkey. I listened. Excellent. Got I liked a couple it. Sites out now, so. Just um, working on the third and getting fed up with how much work they can be, but it's, it's all fun. 
It's very alien to me, so it's all. Yeah, you get uh, you get a little quicker at it and more used to it. That's sort of the trade off there. It's never as short as you want it to be, unless you're just one of these people who just says, check it out. It's going to be exactly this long, and it's going to be whatever we say, and we're going to throw it out there. Uh, you could do that. You could totally do that. I would never do that. <laughs> I don't trust myself enough. No. So yeah, I mean, it's it's myself hosting, and a it'll be a number of other people appearing on different episodes to talk about different things. That's so, cool. That out. So yeah, come along and listen if you're uh, interested in that kind of thing. We've done one episode on the heresy as a whole, as a pilot episode. One episode on the Horace Heresy Weekender, a bit more in-depth than I spoke about on the last After Illinois. Right. Next show is going to be about gaming in the heresy. And I've just purchased my first few Mechanicum bits, so I'm going to have a little bit of a following my progress in the heresy as well. Uh, myself and a couple of guys at the club who are getting into it, so... Very nice. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, and if it doesn't bankrupt me, it will still be going. I picked up the new, I picked up the rules, and I picked up the orcs book because orcs are so cool, and the cover of the orc codex is just—I mean, it is top notch. It is tip top. I like it a lot. Yeah, I've had to start playing seventh edition forty k to get ready for playing Horus Heresy. So it's good. It's all good fun. Imperial Truth, everybody, give it a listen. It is good. I did listen. I do like it, Greg. It is in the rotation, in my queue, as we like to say. But they're on. At the end of the day, they're. In, um, I found one episode of a Horace Heresy specific podcast, and they didn't carry on. Um, there's little bits on other podcasts, but there's nothing dedicated to it. So, thought, why the heck not? Put my money where my mouth is. I keep having to go at other people about their podcasts. So now I've. <laughs> opened myself up to plenty of criticism. It's all good. All right. Why don't we get on to the books, though? Because they're fantastic, and I want to get started. I really want to get started. Let's go. Like, seriously, like I'm looking at the cover for Garo right here. Oath of Moment. Garo's kind of ugly. Like, he's a lot scarier looking than I pictured him. He's an old man. He's been around a while, as Garo. No, oh, Okay. He's been beaten up a fair few times. He's jobs. quite a bit grizzled. He's just, I mean, yeah. He I mean, reminds me of Frank grizzled. Miller Batman drawings. It really. <laughs> grizzled in face, grizzled in nature. It does echo his character. Yeah. You yeah, can imagine it does. That walking directly towards you with, with Libertas out, and <laughs> it's quite scary. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's, I guess I just, I don't know. I pictured him a little younger. I pictured him, I just pictured him differently. And then I listened to the description of him, and, or when I reread it, I read the description of him. Like, actually, this is exactly how it describes him. And I just, like, glossed over that mentally and just, like, pictured him as a little more, you know. I, yeah, I do that quite a lot with a lot of books. And it's only, I think it was with Harry Dresden, actually, kind of the, I, for some reason, I like to picture Michael character in there as black, and he's completely not. But for some reason, it fitted for a while, and it took me quite a while to get out of that. But having obviously having a, a decent picture, Neil Roberts's you, usual uh, awesomeness. You, you pictured Michael Carpenter as black. Yeah, just you know, I don't know, just did. It just Even got stuck in your head, like yeah, it it just you know completely describes him as as white and tall. <laughs> I was going to say it was there. I didn't think that. I don't care what color he is, but I don't think there was ever any, you know, doubt. As to so, uh, it, it got stuck in my head to the point where I picture his like kids as white. 
and his wife is white, but him is black. And it just took me, you know, for some reason it went in that way and it took me a while to get rid of it. I'm just throwing it out there. That's weird. It's very weird. All right. (laughs) Now, the books, the audio books are a bit different. They're fun, but now, of course, I sat down and took notes because that's my job. And I didn't have chapters to work with like I did in the books, so I just counted each track as a chapter. Same here. They're, okay. <laughs> we were on the same page. Good. Um, but they all sort of open up with this nice sort of you, – you, uh, you, you have to get the backstory. You have to get the little prologue to the story because unlike – you know, you've got a short amount of time. These people might not have necessarily read all these other books. So you yeah. get this, and they all do it, and it, it's kind of funny because by the fourth one, it's a pretty darn long intro, yep. just given the whole Horace Heresy and all this stuff. Yeah. But uh, so Oath of Moments starts off on Calth, where the Ultramarines are fighting the Word Bearers, and we actually start off with one of the Imperial soldiers because we're starting something new. Let's start with someone who's familiar to a human being. And not just jump right in. Give you a reference point. And it also, for anybody who's not as familiar with, I mean, I don't know why you'd be buying this if you weren't as familiar with Space Marines. But once again, giving you that that human's eye view description of them when they come in. Getting the description of Garrow. Not just him looking at himself, but someone from our stature looking at him. Yeah. I mean, I, I met someone in a games workshop who picked up a copy of can't remember which book it was now, but one of the Horace Heresy books because it was cheap somewhere, and so he just picks it up. So and he dived in like it might have been Nemesis or something like that, quite far into the Heresy. Just happened to pick this book up, so you never know when people are picking these things up. So they have to be self-contained stories, right? So have to give you the background, and I thought it was quite good in this one actually, because of course we don't actually know anything about Kalth at this point either. Um, when this came out, no, uh, I'm still. Foggy yeah. on exactly. I mean, I know kind of what I know basically what goes on, but just yeah, basically a brief description of the betrayal of the Ultramarines uh, and our background to Calth and the the cavern cities and things like that. Yeah, and then you like I said, you and then you got this whole place set up, and then you have this Olin, and um, and they they get attacked, and he looks at them, and he's like, they look like demons. And it reminds him of something like his grandpa said. And, of course, you get the whole, we don't buy into that stuff because we don't believe in gods or demons, any of that stuff. You know, still still making sure we, we, we lay down the ground rules for anyone who's unfamiliar. Uh, and then the Stormbird comes in the color of a ghost. I like that. Yeah, color ghosts. And then, of course, you get the, this is like, there's, this is right before the credits roll in the old beginning of the movie. They're mm. being attacked. He's calling. All of a sudden, this gray storm bird, the color goes, opens up. One space marine drops out and just wipes out every damn thing. <laughs> he's just, he takes it all on and takes it out. You know, he's like, uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's, the, and then he walks up, of course. I am Captain Garrow. Oh, or yeah. I am Nathaniel Garrow. He doesn't say Captain anymore. I am Nathaniel Garrow. Yeah, he's um he's a proper mo- movie marine. We see it through. <laughs> he's pretty badass. I guess that's why I was picturing with that dark crop of that that flat top military marine cut. 
Sure. And so I always picture him with that. And then every time I see him bald, I say, wait a minute. But that maybe is it. But it's just great. You know, where are the 21st Ultramarines? He's got no iconography. They're like, who saved us? What legion are you from? The description is really nice. He's all in this this sort of flat s- slate gray. Yeah. I mean, you've got um, Ultramar, the whole Ultramar system. It's pretty kind of, they know what's going on. They're, you know, educated and it's pretty well run. So right. a space marine turning up with pretty much no insignia except for the stylized eye. It's, it's like, that must be quite weird. It must have been quite relieved when <laughs> he was like, oh, he's on our side. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, nobody knows what's what. And I, this guy, no. this guy's purposely walking around without any, you know, declaration to anyone. Yeah, in a time of civil war, that's um, an interesting look to have. Yeah. So he comes in and saves them. He asks him who he is. I am Nathaniel Garo, and I am a legion of one. Yeah, and it's funny because the, their voices change. Yeah. yeah. And everything else. Yeah. <laughs> but you got that all up. And then uh, we, and that's uh, right after that and still in, in chapter three is where we meet Rubio. Captain brother Rubio. He's on watch. He's part of the 21st company. Uh, and they're just, they're like, they're losing a war of attrition basically. Yeah. Uh, it's been going a long, long while. What you get, it's uh, that Rubio's captain, they're, you know, saying farewells to their battle brother, and they take the gene seed back, and you've got this whole thing that this, you know, there's this whole battle there, it, there's, you know, it's not about, it's not about him, you know, he's sort of like yeah. the outsider on this. Yeah. And then there's the uh, flashback that happens. This is kind of cool. I like the flashback. Yeah. Um, the, the whole thing, and I love how they keep coming back to how he's on the moon and he's never going to get to Earth, and it's right there, and how badly he wants to go back to Terra, and they keep bringing him to this moon outpost, and it's like, no, never going, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of almost cruel, but you understand, like one aspect of it. Some people still don't trust Garrow. Or, or the seventy that that came back, right? As we see, as we see in the last story. Oh yeah, even Malkador. I mean, he's talking to to Garo, and Garo is really upset. You know, I've been held up here. You don't let me go fight. You know, I did all of this to be treated this way. He's like, it, I risked everything to uphold what I was supposed to do, and he's really mad that Malkador already knew what was going on. Like, I got there, and you knew. He's like, I did all of that. All these people died. We did all went through all these gauntlets to bring you a message you already knew, and then we get treated like crap anyway. Yeah, so it's it's hard. I mean, yeah, Malkador's kind of probing him that whole time, just testing to make sure he is kind yeah. of the right qualities of what he needs. It's a really good conversation. It's a really good description of Malkador getting this that how. You know, and and Alejo Garo's like like kind of feeling to see is he is he is he picking in my brain? He knows yeah. he can read him. You know, it, that's he's the second most powerful psyker. You know, only to the emperor. Mm. So I mean, everybody who stands anywhere near Malkador knows he could just open them up and read them like a book. You know, he's like, is he is he tapping in? Is he looking? You know, he's just and he's just being honest anyway. It's not like he's like I got nothing to hide, so I don't care. I have one question though. What's that? Why does Melkador sound like Darth Sidious? 
because he's a very old man. <laughs> just, but it just, he just sounds, I mean, I just hear that voice and I just think the emperor, not the 40K emperor, the Star Wars emperor. If you've seen the pictures of Malkador, he's an old man who's like, <laughs> not that dissimilar. Still, kind of, okay, I understand that he's old, but seriously, Garrow, strike me down and your journey towards the dark side will be complete. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, li- I mean, it, that, I mean... It's a strong old voice. I guess. It's just... You could have him sounding old and a bit yeah, whiny or, or something like that, but it's a kind of, it's a strong, kind of he's pronouncing every word and it's short and clipped. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess so. If you, if you clip all the words like that, it's just, it seemed, it's got that little gravel to it too. It just, it was just like. Show he's old. Uh, I guess, high pitch gravel. I, I guess, it just, I heard it and my first thought. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> and that, I mean, that whoop, totally threw me for for a, for a loop there. So, but um, it was a nice little flashback. And then he gets the, uh, you know, he's he gets his little. Uh, isn't this where they get the symbol on his? Uh, yeah, the stylized eye on his on his shoulder. That's Which, almost uh, not recognizable. Recognize. But uh, what I think is is cool is how this wraps up with Garrow's like, you know, I want to fight. I want to do this. And yeah. he's like, I have a purpose. He's like, I just want to do my purpose. And then it ends with, and what does it say? And for his sins, Malkador the Sigilite gave him exactly what he asked for. Yeah. <laughs> what do you wish for, kids? Yeah. But Garrow, yeah, Garrow's one of those guys. He's like, I've got a duty to do. I'm going to do it. You know, give me something to do. I want to be doing. I want to be getting back at the people that have done this. There's no waiver in him. No. He's there to do his job, and he knows what's right and wrong. And I mean, some of his biggest issues is when he's trying to do right. That's not necessarily part of the mission. Yeah, but I mean, if you read Flight of the Eisenstein, that's that runs through the whole thing. I'm not doing necessarily what I'm told. I'm doing what's right, and so he gets even here, and even with Miller, Malkador just seems. I mean, there's there's just it seems, does it seem weird? Am I the only one who thinks it's weird that there's people swearing fealty to, I guess you swear fealty to your Primarch, that doesn't make you any less faithful to the Emperor. And he is, Malkador is the mouthpiece of the Emperor at this point as well. So, it, you know, you are literally swearing your fealty to the Emperor's right-hand man. Yeah, yeah, so, I guess that's not, it's just, for some, it just seems to me, I don't know, it's just... It's Malkador's turn, then everything's really bad. Yeah, I suppose. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it's just like I said. It, it's. I mean, I get. But you, they all. I mean, they swear oaths all the time by their legion and their. It just seems like Malkador is so not legion, or, I mean, he is. He's the anomaly. There's, you've got the Primarch. You got you know the legion, the Primarchs, the Emperor, all of these super beings, and then Malkador's in there, who obviously no, he's just is being in his own way. He's your Professor X. Yeah, your Wolverine. I suppose, um, and and bearing in mind they're now bearing his symbol on their armor, and as we go through and he collects more people, then they're becoming their own kind of little group. So they've got to have kind of it's almost just the way they have their command structure. Yeah, oh, yeah, these guys. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it makes sense. It just at first it seemed weird. I mean, just. 
hearing them swearing fealty to him seemed weird. It, you know, it, once you explain it so, so plainly and straightforward and put it in perspective, <laughs> it makes sense. It just seemed odd to me. I'm just throwing that out there. But, um, all right. So after this flashback, we're back to Captain Rubio. Yeah. And turmoil. Yeah, he's feeling all guilty about uh, not uh, not being able to save his friend, and you sort of get this little flashback. And you know, he was shooting and runs out of bullets, and as he's reloading, his friend takes a hit that he can't reload and shoot the guy fast enough. But that's not why he's upset. No, well, he knows he could have done something to save him, but he's not allowed to. No, in yeah, because he's a psyker, and he could have... Yeah. Nikea. Go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. That's right, he's, yeah, he's in the chains of the decree of Nikea, and, and we see a space marine questioning how is is that, should it be that way? And he's de- he's really questioning the decree of the emperor there. Yeah, it's, it's like... like well, really how a he, decision. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, you know, it's... it's, 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 uh, it's he's sticking to it, like he's following it, Although he but knows, he's like, I could do more, but you're saying, he's, yeah, he doesn't get it. He, you know, I think it's more of a he doesn't get it than he's questioning the emperor. Yeah, As, he's, yeah he's just questioning, yeah, he's not questioning the emperor per se, but there's that, there's that doubt in his mind. Yeah. About how, how, how it all should work and everything. Yeah, if the emperor says it, I'm certain it's right. However, I don't see how it's right at all. No. Ugh. Okay. Because, because he's used his psychic powers in the right ways and there's never been those issues right within that and uh that's when the intruder alert is about to go off because garrow's going to show up all right so we get into track or chapter seven and you know garrow's coming in and nobody recognizes the armor it's here he comes in again and he it sort of reminds you of the it always when when you see this scene it keeps reminding me of clint eastwood Right when they keep describing him in the gray armor, when he you know he would ride in on that on the pale horse, in all yeah. those spaghetti westerns, <laughs> nobody recognizes him. He's got no colors, no livery. You know they've all got their guns raised to him. Um, he just puts away his weapons, walks in with his hands up, just walks right through everybody. Like, yep, I'm here. I, don't worry about me. Going right up to your captain. Um. Describes himself as a knight errant. Yeah, I liked that. I mean, that really sort of captured it, didn't it? Yeah. Well, it's all the the clues to what they become later. Okay. What the organization becomes later. So. Oh, right. Well, uh, I mean, it's clear in 40K that... Um, <sighs> here we are, Dave. Should I talk about this? It, it's In 40K, you've got the, the Grey Knights... Yep. And they wear almost exactly the same armor, but it's shiny silver rather than dull silver with the stylized eye. Oh. And I think most people know that they're linked with the Grey Knights. These guys become the Grey Knights. Oh, yeah, I guess most people know Not that. People specifically, but yeah. Um, but I like I like when this guy asks... You know, he, he wants to know his mission. He's like, you know, I, am the, I outrank you, and then he sees the... They describe the little symbol. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's, it's kind of funny because he comes in and it, it, it's like, oh, yeah, he's his rank is way, 
over theirs. Yeah, he's yeah, he's taking his orders direct from Malkador. Yeah, uh, so they all kind of got to step back, and um, this is when he meets uh, Brother Rubio, and that's sort of that's sort of where that little chapter ends. It's like you see exactly how how uh, you know, how high ranking is, and it's like okay. Then then it flashes back. Oh, this is actually the part where they get that he gets the uh, symbol put on his armor. Yes, sorry, yes. Lost track with uh, listening to them all in one go kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Sitting down, just taking notes. It was kind of neat to sit down. Like, I'd listened to a bunch before, so I sat down for just like, I had the afternoon. I sat down for like four hours, just sort of listened and took yeah. notes. And, and during some of the battle scenes, I would clip a model here or there. Yeah, you can do that with a battle scene. <laughs> so, um,. But then again, and do you swear field to me? As long as it serves the emperor. I do like that he points that out there. I swear my fealty to you as long as that serves the emperor. Yes. Um, and he also, at the end of his oath of moments, says, I swear it in his name. And uh, Malkador raises an eyebrow at that. Like the, the, it, the odd wording. Slightly religious. Yeah. Citations. But Malkador pretty much believes he's a god, doesn't he? I mean, doesn't he seem to? I mean, I don't. I haven't read ahead, so I'm not saying any. I'm not saying anything out of knowledge, other than just the stuff I've heard. Pretty much up to this point, I've only heard one other audio seat. I heard Malkador the Sigilite, or whatever the hell the the name of his audio book is. Um, I, I wouldn't say that much. Uh, I think the Malkador just knows kind of that he's more than. Anything else? Yeah, you, you get that impression. You know, Malkador's the closest to him. Malkador knows everything that's going on, pretty much. So there's that kind of. Except at the very least, he he understands why people look at the emperor like that. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, because that yeah that conversation happened in a different thing. So I'm thinking I might be thinking of something else. That happens sometimes. I'm getting old. So um, his you know his mission is to find these other Astartes and pull them together. That's what Malkador tells him. Pardon? He's collecting a crack team. <laughs> there you go. But it's it's in a very specific name. So Malkador knows exactly who he wants. Yeah, which is just it's it's weird and it speaks to his the, the, the depth of his knowledge and possibly his power that he's Oh yeah. Yeah. He's picked out individuals from all these different legions. Right. And so he gets his mission and then it cuts over to uh back to Kalth and it's dawn on Kalth and the atmosphere apparently has been it's it's been it's getting thinner, it's been poisoned. Yeah, you you see later when um, there are books about Kalth that basically it just gets ruined. As, as we, we see here, you know, the fighting's been going on for years. Kalth just gets absolutely blasted. Yeah, so, I mean, basically they're, they're even saying, they, you know, even some of the Space Marines are putting their helmets on and stuff like that because the air is just unbreathable. Mm. Um it will be. I mean, it'll be. They basically say it'll be un, unable to sustain any life very soon. Yes. And the, what, what's left of the flora and fauna that's indigenous there is going to die. It's like, oof. 
Uh, and Rubio, it's, it's funny. Rubio is watching Garo watch everybody. Yeah. You know, he's like, Garo's trying to look like he's just getting ready, but it's obvious, you know, he, Rubio can tell. And he is, so, he so wants to peek into his head. Um, he, Garo's not very good, apparently, at hiding his thoughts, or else he's not bothering to try and hide these thoughts if he knows what he's looking for. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. the psychic guy is just picking up on it, like even when he's not trying. Yeah, they're still not sure why he's there, are they, either? Yeah, because he hasn't told them. He's like, no. nope, I outrank you. I'm here because I need to be. Um, what's interesting is, is he wants to look in his head, and then it's like he lets his guard slip. Which seem, it just it seems weird. I always thought of this as something they would more have to activate and try to use. But this guy, you know, it's constantly there, and he kind of wants it. So I think subconsciously, it's it's maybe it's easier for it to be there. Yeah, I mean, he's thinking about it all the time. <laughs> right, but then all of a sudden, he gets a vision of this battle. Yeah, actually, we I mean, we see later on in um, uh, the other one, Burden of Duty, right? That there are. Uh, their the dreams are coming to the psychers without their willingness to do anything. So, it, it, yeah, it's there. It's it's always there. It's just they're denying it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, he, like I said, it, it brings this weird vision to him. And he sees people, he sees all these ultramarines dying. He sees Captain Gaius die, dying. He can't save him. And then, like, as this is going on, Garrow sort of snaps and says, hey, hey. Garrow's like, don't you hear it? And they look out and so swarms of Lorgars yeah. um, cultists are coming in and the battle's going on and the cultists are just dying in droves, but there are so many of them. Um, you get the whole thing where they start to overrun Captain Gaius and he's buried underneath him and all of a sudden guys fly in every direction as he jumps back up. No, not yet. <laughs> pulling a James Brown and uh, you know they keep fighting the, and they wipe these guys out but it's just like the first wave you know uh, this giant what, what this giant mechanical demon thing that comes in is that one of those what is it what are they called the soul soul grinder is it might a, be again there's countless beasts creatures things that come out the warp that we don't know about so yeah, I mean, they just described it with on legs, but it said it only had four, so I'm like, maybe it's not, I don't know. It's. I mean, who knows? At the end of the day, anything that comes from the warp, there's, there's, there's such a variety, we only see a small part of it. So, um, And that goes for a lot of other creatures as well. Um, there's, a, there's a big, wide galaxy out there, so loads of options. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, of course, Gaia sees this, and it's happening just like it did in his in his vision. So he goes running to try and stop it, and a, and a mortar lands or something blows up next to him and knocks him sideways, and, of course, he can't get to him. Gaius is stepped on by the giant multi-legged mechanical-legged thing, and it crushes him. Garrow then comes flying in and jumps up on top of it, and that's great. Uh, this kind of reminds me of um, that scene that happens... You know, obviously, uh, that happens back in um, Descent of Angels when the lion jumps on right, yeah. the one beast. You know, yeah. just sort of riding it and pumping shots into the back of its head. Uh, he puts it, there's like a face by the turret, this demonic looking face, and he just jams his sword into it. 
and that starts driving it crazy enough that he starts screaming, kill it, kill it now, kill it. <laughs> yeah, it's quite cool. I do like the the, uh, the sounds and everything that go with the fighting. It does create quite an, an atmospheric passage. Right. Really draws you into it. Right. Now they finish all that, and they kind of... And, and they, they look out over the, the, the little ridge, and now the actual word bearers are there. And they're getting ready to charge off. And this really pisses off Garo. He's just, like, outraged. You know, <laughs> basically, these people would stand up against the emperor's divine will. And he actually uses the term divine will, yeah. that they would stand up to this. Who You know, who do they think they are? This is just like, how you know, how, how could anybody? He's, he still doesn't get how any of them fell. Like if, no, absolutely. It's just it it and and I mean we all know how they fell, but he just can't fathom being in a position that they were in and choosing to turn away from the emperor. He just doesn't get it, and it really upsets him. Yeah, without um, a shadow of a doubt. Right, but they've got no chance. The no. captain's dead. Rubio's standing there. The twenty first is they're going to get overrun, and Garo. Okay, Garo pulls some a little bit. Garo gets a little shady here. <laughs> I kind of think almost it's like he starts stepping over the boundaries a little bit. Almost it 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 seems like he's using a Malkador type tactic with with Rubio. With Rubio, he's pretty harsh. Yeah, you could have stopped him. You know, <laughs> and and he and he, you know, I know you've got those powers. I know you could have stopped him, and you didn't. Yeah. Why didn't and, you? You know, it's like... Bearing in mind, there's no reason for these, for the Ultramarines to to break their, kind of the edict of Nokia. Right. No one's giving them a decent reason to, to break away for that. But one of the things I noticed in this is, in the beginning, and I think I, we might have just kind of skipped over it quickly, but when, when Rubio is there, when he's first thinking about, you know, sitting there and how he could have saved his friend... His captain, Captain Gaius, comes up to him and says, you know, I know what you're thinking. And, uh, you know, you did everything you could as a soldier. And you know you did everything you could as a soldier. And that's all you can do. And I'm happy to have you here in that capacity. I don't feel, you know, nobody feels like you failed us. So it's like everybody knows he really wants his powers. And everyone's constantly telling him, you know, you're doing a good job not using them. You're, you're following the rules. You're doing a good job. You know, it's like they're sitting there with their psychers just, you know, compl- every, after every battle complimenting them. Good, you know, I could tell you really wanted to do that and you didn't. Here's the first person walking up going, why the hell don't you? And that's got to really be appalling because Rubio gets really pissed. Yeah. That's, you know, the emperor said no. Do you really, I mean, what what kind of question is that? Why didn't I? Yeah. It it took particularly to an honorable kind of the ultramarines, you know. Oh, yeah. It's all about the honor and everything else, so... It's pretty, it is, yeah, I made a note. It's a pretty harsh statement. Yeah, but it's not happy. In like realizing that the rules have changed. Um, but, but yeah. So, Garrow's the one who basically, you know, he, Rubio's like, well, Captain's dead. You can leave now. Didn't you come here to see him? And he's like, no, I came here to see you. We need to leave now. We need to leave now while we can still leave. And Rubio's offended again. You want me to leave my battle brothers at their darkest hour? No, I can't. I mean, there's there, he, he's honorable. He's not being a yeah. whiny punk. Yeah, that, he's an ultramarine. Yeah, that's a bit different. That's 
him wanting to go down with his brothers and Garrow being cold and saying, no, there's a, I've got a job to do and, and I've got a job for you to do that's more important than this. Yeah, Melchador's got a job for us and uh, sorry, I mean... You're all gonna you're you're all gonna die here anyway. There's no need that you all have to die. You can come, to, and that just the, the concept of that, and that would be offensive. To, I think most of the space marines. Yeah, well, a lot of people in general. Yeah, humans as well. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know, you, you you've been fighting with these guys for years and years and years, and all of a sudden, no, just just you. <laughs> the rest of you has got to stay here and die, but you have to come with me. And then Rubio says, I, Sigilite's orders be damned. I'm not walking away from my men, which I think Errol respects. Yes. Listen, he has the courage. You know, this is he believes he's supposed to be here. He's going to stay here. And, I mean, because Garrow said, well, then I'll stay here with you. My job yeah. is to come get you. And if you're not leaving, I, I can't just leave without you because you said no. So I don't know what I mean. It's it's an audio drama. It's the, you know, the, the uh, you know, the depth of it. It might not be as much as a normal book. Um you know, was he doing it to earn this guy's respect, or was he doing it because he doesn't quite like the order of being bossed about by the sigilite either? Well, I, I, I think you look at it as most base value. Like Angron was told, you know, the emperor, I've come to save you. No, not those people you're with. And he's like, well, tough then. These are the people I've been involved with. These are, you know, this is what's been going on. We've got brotherly bonds here. I'm not just walking away from that. I've got responsibilities and stuff, and I don't care who comes knocking. Though it's 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 almost part that would be giving up part of themselves just to walk away from it. Yeah. So yeah, that was cool. Um. So then the battle begins, and the word bearers are even nuttier. Although fallen far from just being uh, a group of Astartes, Kalth occurs. Kalth goes on for quite a long time. Um. So post Isfan five, we're talking about a fair while. He's talking, I mean, they talked about this is more vicious than the, the craziness from the cultists. Um, he sees them covered in human blood, sees the eight-pointed star scratched in over the book insignia on their, on their uh, armor, and it makes him even angrier that they've defaced it with this other symbol. Um, they are desecrating the bodies, like they're killing Astartes and then getting in groups over the dead ones and just shooting them, like... Shooting them with bolters and just blowing up and destroying their bodies when they're done. Not just killing them, but doing that and laughing. They're just like sick in the head. You know? And it is kind of funny listening to the audio drum, the, 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 the laughter. The As they're all shooting these guys up. It was just like so bizarre. But so they fall back to a tunnel and then in come the Terminators. And that's it. That's the real... Kicker, yeah. Th- this is because they're they're those things are even Space Marines are like oh oh. Well, yeah, they haven't got the tools to deal with those, right? So Garrow tells them to pull back, and Rubio says no. He's like, well, we're all going to die here. Uh, and he's like, you know, he's saying to pull back. Well, we'll get shot in the back. We're not going to do this. And he's like, you're going to defy one order to die for another order. That's what he tells him. And then Rubio just gets really mad because. You know, Garrow's just pushing him. Yeah, you're, you're. We can get, we can get out of this. We don't have to all die. You just have to. And I guess that's maybe that was part of the job, even. You know, get him to use his power. Make sure that he's going to be willing to use his power. You know. Yeah, uh, it's 
<laughs> I, mean, could, I mean, obviously the Sigilite knew enough about him to know that he wanted to. Maybe they could have come in there and said, by the way, it's okay for you to use your psychic powers now. And actually told him, like, straight from the off. Yes. The knight says, it's fine. I'm allowed to pick certain people who are allowed to do it. But, yeah, he's he's just encouraging. He's like, yeah, you know, things have changed. You can go for it. So I, I love this, though. The, the Terminators come in, and his brothers are starting to die around him. And he just he can't handle it anymore. And so he calls on the warp. And... um I love that, he, you know, Garrow is stepping back right as he, the power's gathering up. Kind of everything kind of slows down around him. He sees Garrow backing up. He's like, I know what you're going to do. Have all the room you need to do it in. Um, but it's interesting that it says his battle brothers all look at him and shake their heads. Yes. Like, no, don't. And he lets through with the force lightning and uh, fries out all those Terminators and drops the tunnel as well. Clever girl. It was almost, I mean, the other option is that um, Garrow's kind of encouraging him to use his psychic powers because he knows the reaction it, his his uh, brothers will have. So if he used his psychic powers, he knows that he'd be shunned by the other. Oh, yes. Yeah. And then it would almost be like, well, I can't stay here now because I'm bringing them, their honor down. So that's a possibility. You know, as I'm going through this, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. That almost makes more sense. Yeah, so that could be part of it. Taking that calculated risk. We'll fight here, and if I, you know, I got, I got to bring him back or die trying. So if he's willing to use his powers, we might make it out of here. And if he does that, then yeah. Because that's what they do. He goes over to see if his brothers are all okay, and it says as one they turn their backs on him. <laughs> They're like, thanks, but we didn't want to win like that. Yep. They, they turn their backs on him for defying a decree absolute. Hmm. And it's funny because Rubio the whole time keeps telling Garrow how Garrow has given him no choices. You've done this and you've done that, and that gives me no choices. Like, no, you've made these choices. Yeah, You're making these choices. I'm, you know, as well. Not saying uh, I give you no choices, not the truth. You have a choice. You just, you, you know, <laughs> you don't necessarily like the what the consequences are going to be. So there were no good choices, but right? You had- so that's when uh, Garrow takes his blade and Rubio takes it by the hilt and swears an oath of moment and he's going to become another ghost or another knight errant. Uh, and he says, I so swear because I can do nothing else. And that's how that ends. Yeah. I swear the fealty because I can do nothing else. Which is once again another sort of cop out, I think, a little bit with Rubio. I get that he's upset. I get, I mean, maybe it's an ultramarine thing that they well, just. I mean, he has got nowhere else to turn. Yeah. He knows that his whole legion now won't really accept him to the same extent. So, do you, would do you want to be somewhere where everyone would, at the very at the very best, whisper, you know, kind of talk about, oh yeah, that's him. It'd be censored for it, and he has to live with that kind of dishonor. Yeah, and if they allow him to fight with them at all, or do you take up this job offer and go and you know break away? And, and don't have to face that shame. So he does. Yeah. First recruit. There we go. Uh, let's take a break, huh? And then we'll come back with Legion 2, Legion of One. I'm Jim Swallow, and you're listening to After Ulanor. 
We're back. So, Garo, the Legion of One. Okay. Um, this story, again, chapter one, recap of Horus's betrayal. There's uh, a thick description of the heresy and of Isvan III. Mm-hmm. Well, then they, do, they never say it's Isvan III. But we know by the end of the book. End that of it this, is, yeah. It's an epic description of it. And, you can, and if, you, if you think about it as you're listening to it, you can work it out. I wasn't paying enough attention. I was driving. I had the kids in the car. I was listening to it, but I wasn't. Well, it's like, as we just spoke, I mean, sometimes you go into a film and you don't want to think about, you know, the twist may be really obvious, but if you're just sitting enjoying the film rather than concentrating on the story, if you, it's a difference between being involved with it and letting it happen to you. You know, sometimes it's great just to go with it, just to sit on the ride and let it take you. Yeah. Because I got it at the end, and I tell you, it was, it was more fun at the end to sort of like when the little bits put together, the place that fell, the guy without a head. You are, you were, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no way. No way. And it's yeah. him. And you're like, yes. Whereas um, actually my first experience was they're on his fan three. They're going back for Serb. Who could Serb? Oh, oh, yes. It's, it can only be him. It's got to be him, surely. Yeah. That, yeah, that was cool. Like I said, I told you earlier, I, they kept saying where the heresy started, and they were talking about the Nurgle stuff, and I literally thought the planet was uh, dead. I didn't know there would still be people or things about. Um, and I guess there weren't. I totally no. missed because those people seemed like people to me, and on the second listing, I'm like, wait, they're... I think it was the chat about bunkers. It talks about underground. Yeah. Places people could survive, which was the real clue to his fan three. Yeah, I just was like I said. I was thinking of Davin when I first heard it because where it started and there was the Nurgle stuff. And I'm like, oh, there were Nurgle guys there, and then I just sort of let it slip from my head. wasn't even paying attention. So, but yeah. so, yeah, something sometimes passed. I, I just I feel really stupid. Like this one was just obvious. Like I'm like, wow, I'm dumb. I should have caught this one. <laughs> We've got a blatant allowance of psychic powers now, we, which which suggests that the sigilite is working to very different rules to everyone else. Yeah, because Rubio's got that psychic hood up and everything now. Like yes. he's not even hiding it. It's like, hey, you, you got so, no say over what I do. So, yeah. And now what's this? Mesa Varen? Is that how his name's pronounced? Yeah. This is yeah, because this is the last job, isn't it? This is the last person they're going to get. That's what they tells him. Yeah. Yeah. So this guy, so there's only, is this a, a squad of four or do they go, or is he sending them off to different places and different jobs? There's lots of different jobs. Okay, because. These, these um, as we go through and you read the books and you find out and, and the audios and things, there are quite a number. You don't, they, it, it's not going to give a story of every single person he goes and finds. Um, but, yeah, the, obviously the important ones, the important stories are told. You say so far, all four of them are about the people he goes to find. So oh, that's the way the heresy, though, isn't it? We we will yeah. get the same people turning up again and again. Um, so he's got the now. There's three of them: Garo, Rubio, and Mesa Varen, who's a loyalist world eater. Dude, I like loyalist world eaters. Like, if I yeah. were playing something, I could seriously see playing loyalist world eaters. Yeah, and I love their armor as well. White and blue armor is brilliant. Yeah. Obviously, parents playing it, but. <laughs> But so, and they're wearing Mark VI Corvus pattern power armor, the most advanced. Yeah, they got some new stuff. Um, they're all walking around with bolt guns and power swords, no helmets. They got this sort of. So, chapter two is still going through the descriptions. They got the mark of the sigilite. 
Rubio's got his psychic hood up. It's been a year since the last episode, since the first book. Because they say, you know, he's been doing that for a year. So he's um, had a whole year of searching for people. Mm-hmm. Um, Baron has lots of trouble keeping calm. <laughs> Butcher's nails. Yeah, and all of their voices are like this in this part. They're all ever, all the Marines are big and they're tough. They have very deep voices. The guy does is great. Huge guys with three sets of lungs. That's true. Um, but he is not happy to be here, and he's really pissed. And Carol's like, "Hey, you know, it's our final job, final quest." Um, I like how they say they all knew that they hadn't served their purpose yet. Like finding these guys is not their purpose. There's, there's still they've been working for over a year at the. They're getting, you know, they're collecting materials at this point still. They just get the band back together. <laughs> And they're not quite there. Now they got the last member of the band. Yeah. Um, I like this. The The planet's all been bombarded. And there's one lone dude in black armor. Mm. Um, he's talking about being Cerberus. He is the gatekeeper to the doors of hell. Um, it's completely insane. Yes. Well, on the edge of insane, shall we say. He's, but yeah, he keeps talking about bizarre stuff. Uh, he sees war unending. He yeah. sees the dead. The death wouldn't take him. He was dead, but came back. Let me yeah, ask about that. Oops. He yeah. just, they describe, in fact, when that when later in this story, when the when the when the chapel when the citadel falls, and they're yeah. like, oh, I thought uh, a citadel falling cannot kill a, a a mere citadel falling cannot crush a space marine. So I'm wondering. With that whole battle going on, and then the the Titan walking by, and the thing getting smashed and falling down, and everything getting crushed, is it possible that he was buried under this stuff and sort of went into one of those Astartes comas? Absolutely. There's no reason why not. Because that's what I'm guessing, and they couldn't find him. Everyone thought he was, because even he said, because he, he thought he was dying. There's that part in his vision, and granted, he's borderline crazy, but it was like he sort of passed out and thought he was dead, and then woke up, and it is, it's months later. Especially if you come out of the book itself and take it into the context of if if the book was written and Garrow died and Loken died, and then it was revised by other writers so that he didn't die and it was left open but probably dead, um, which was almost corroborated. Uh, um, Black Library Weekender um, by kind of. There were hints to it anyway. I won't say it was corroborated, but there were there were signs that that might have been the case. Then this line kind of almost makes sense outside of the actual story itself. I see. The overall story. So, yeah. I mean, he was... It, the ending was to show us that he thought we all th- should think that Logan was dead. Right. So that that's how I took it anyway. So, but yeah, I mean, I like how they worked that though, because he, you know, he, like I said, I'm really going. What do you mean he was dead and brought back to life and death wouldn't? Take, why would death? Oh, because he wasn't actually dead. He was in that weird. And then you wake up, and I mean, after all that betrayal, all that problems, you know. So now he gets up. Um, he doesn't know who he is. He can't remember the exact circumstances around right at that point. No. Um, he just know that death wouldn't take him. He keeps seeing the mark of the three, and he knows what that means. Yeah. 
Um, he's running around, and then you start this other description that this this is he's not the only guy on the planet. Uh, after the bioweapon bombardment, which right there I should have been paying attention. <laughs> um, but they say these people weren't really human anymore. They were the ones who became host of disease. And at first reading, once again, I guess I didn't. Um, it, it, it seems like survivors of a an atomic blast and whatever. It, it, it can read that way. There's no reason. I mean, it's designed to. It's designed to be kind of, if you look at it without thinking too much, that it's easy to be ambiguous. Right. Um but so they're you know they're coming out and they're you know they said he died and lived again but he wasn't one of them he wasn't poisoned like them he's still him he's not one of these things who became something else um and then we got we cut away from Cerberus and back to our three our three knights errant um I like the description of the water turned toxic in the pool where it's pooled. The water's toxic. All the rusted out vehicles, bodies of the soldiers that weren't, you know, vaporized. And dog. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where Garrow f- sees a little something catching the light. And he walks by and he finds this body of this Imperial soldier who's holding a little silver Aquila medallion. Yeah. And he realizes what it is, and Rubio comes walking over, and he's picking it up, looking at it, and he says, the Emperor protects. And Rubio's standing there looking at the body, and he goes, that was the last thing this guy said. How could you possibly know that? Um, which I thought was cool. It's like, oh, he could, <laughs> he was there at the, you know, so he, he was, you know, in that guy's head, so he could see those last moments. Hmm. Before Garrow has to answer any uncomfortable questions, uh, Varen call, and there's like this whole area with glass and dead Astartes, mostly loyalist death card, um, which I thought was interesting because Varen's just pissed about it, um, and he's like, you know, we're sitting here, we should we shouldn't even be here, we shouldn't be doing this, and he's like, no, look at all this and remember all of this, because when we bring Horus to answer for what he did, yeah, for the for the punishment of, we will her. be, yeah will be the voices of all of these guys. So um, he's going to be their voices, and then you get you know the dramatic music and uh, goes to the next part. As all of a sudden, as he's saying this, these little, you know, these skinny little sickly people come out to see them. And they're led by Arcudi. He's the leader of the survivors. Um, and they're going to leave him behind. They're like, sorry, you're not our problem. You're not our job. And Arcudi's like, oh, can't we come with you? And they're like, nope. And he goes, oh, but we knew you'd come and help us because the Emperor protects. Yeah. And, uh, and then Garrow's like, what would you say? He's like, the Emperor protects. He's like, oh. And he walks over and looks at him. And uh, he sees he's wearing one of the little Aquila symbols. And he's like, okay, you can come with. And uh, the other two are like, uh, wait, what? And he's like, no, nope. we're going to yeah. take him with. Really prepared to play them, weren't they? Yeah. But it was just funny. Yeah, it was weird that they already had that bit of knowledge about him. But, I mean, at this point, they might know who Garrow is, considering the nonsense he's put the chaos through. Oh, yeah, but they, they knew what they were doing. It was all 
It's all a ploy. Yeah. And they've been trying to get off the planet. They're like, we're just trying to find, but we can't because this Cerberus monster keeps attacking us. <laughs> and so he's like, well, we'll take the battle right to the monster. And Varen's like, I don't like this at all. We don't need them. We're not supposed to have them. You know what? What is going on here? And he's like, "Oh, listen, you don't know the you don't know the exact wording of the mission I got, so you don't know what I'm doing. So don't worry about it." So when he doesn't want to give answers, he's very quick to just basically say, "You don't know what my mission is either, and I'm not telling you." Secrets and secrets. Yep. Um, oh, and then we're back to Cerberus. He's in a bombed out basilica talking to a headless Astartes. Yeah, they, these are the real. St- clues yeah uh he wants to know what happened he keeps saying you know what happened you were here but every time he gets close to reminding it remembering it he he gets pain in his head and just Mm. can't uh he can't remember anything except that he died and awoke there he can't remember what was right what happened before it he can't even remember his name no um and doesn't give the name of the uh headless astartes either no but you can pick up on that too if you remember the end of book three. Indeed. So um, I liked him so much too. <laughs> I really did. Um, but it's funny how they say that he starts to have this moment of lucidity. Like he's sitting there, he's start, like he's there's a moment where sanity is starting to snap back, but then he hears people coming. And he just assumes it's more traitors or more people come to kill. So that, yeah, yeah, the, everything, everything he's ever seen on that planet has tried to kill him. <laughs> exactly. So he's uh, the, the Cerberus part of him comes roaring back as soon as he hears them coming. Um, it's funny. This is the part where Garo tells Varen. Garo says, uh, "You know, stay with these people and be ready and watchful." I'm wondering what he's having and being watchful for, but he's like, you know, just, but what do you mean? This is not my job to protect them. He's like, listen, be here and just keep an eye on this. We're going to go do that. Rubio can't focus on Cerberus and find him among, because there's so many voices of the dead around. Mm. Um, I thought that was interesting. That just there's so, It's so many dead bodies around. What was that noise? A thousand souls screaming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how many people died on that planet? Aside from the Astartes. <laughs> Let alone the Astartes. Exactly. So. Um, and it, it's funny because he does finally reach Cerberus's mind and says he's lost somewhere between life and death. Hmm. Which maybe is just the way that it looks when the guy's real persona is being blocked down by some... Well, I think it's more... You see it within Cerberus himself. Uh, it goes on to speak about how he like he wants to die, but he can't kill himself. So he's kind of looking for a way to die honorably. So he's going out and just launching into whatever there is. He will take it all on, you know, almost hoping that something takes the pain away from him. Yep. So that's kind of a semi. It's kind of living, living dead kind of thing. Yeah, that's a, that's that, yeah. That's really well put. Better than I could have put it. Um. So while uh, they're looking for him, Rubio stops and talks to Garrow, and he calls him out on this Emperor protects stuff. 
And basically says, listen, I don't care what, you know, what's going on with it, but make sure that your own agenda doesn't get away, get in the way of Malkador's agenda. We're here doing that job. And make yeah. sure you keep your head on that job. So, um, that's when, that, that, and then that's when Cerberus is, uh, he's there and he hears him coming and he's ready to take on the traitors. They must be traitors. There's only traitors here. They've killed, you know. <laughs> so uh, they walk into the Basilica and they find the headless corpse. And that's when they see it's, he was a captain of the Sons of Horus. So now here comes the last clue, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't got it by now. Yeah. And that's Maybe. when Cerberus comes running in, takes down Rubio. Oh, he's and, a beast. And then drops a crack grenade. Yeah. Take this. <laughs> it goes running out the door. Not messing around. Yeah. So uh, Garo with his cat-like reflexes, Garo catches the crack grenade and throws it in a sinkhole and grabs Rubio and says, run, darn it, run. <laughs> and that crack grenade is enough to shake what was left of the precarious foundation of this basilica, to, and it just falls down. Um. Varen and the survivors see the thing collapse, see the dust cloud comes boring to them, and as the dust is pouring by and pouring by, they start to see someone walking out of the crowd. Out of the cloud, I mean. Um, and it's it's Cerberus, and he goes after... It's funny, first he goes towards Varen, yeah. and Varen's like, he doesn't fight like in Astartes, even though it looks like... I mean, he, that's obviously what it is. I, I can see you know the armor and stuff. But he fought like he was looking for death. That's it. Yeah, this is the point. So it's yeah, kind of almost that willingness to to die, but only, but not by giving up. Right. Um. Then he gets Varen down, turns and sees all the all the survivors, the tagalongs, and completely ignores Varen, even though Varen isn't dead or isn't. He grabs his boulder and just starts killing. All these just lays into these, into the, the you know the humans, the stragglers on. Um. Eventually, Rubio shows up and throws a force lightning out that puts a crater there. <laughs> uh, and then the smoke clears and Varen goes and looks. He's like, "Yep, there's a huge crater here, but I don't see a body." No. So now you got that. Um. Varen really gets the measure of him in that short time and in the battle. Almost seems to get it better than Garrow. Um, yeah. You know, he says he's an Astartes. You know, he called us traitors. He's obviously consumed by uh, by madness. And Varen's saying how he's lost and they can't give up on him. They've lost too many brothers already to give up on this one just because he's confused. And Garrow's like, well, there might not be any saving him. They're just, you know. I yeah. don't know what to tell you. Oh, yeah. Um, but they know he'll be back, and that is the guy they're looking for. So they're gonna, you know, they're they're gonna find him again, one way or another. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is that you get this story moved in then into the next morning, um, and there's some of the human wounded, and they're putting the bodies down there. And when uh, they offer to help, you know, with you know whatever they can, um, they are completely refused. 
by these humans. They don't want them helping them medically in any way, um, which is a weird thing. And Rubio thought it was weird, too. So he goes over and starts checking the dead bodies. And, you know, they have a lot of decay and radiation, poisoning and stuff like that. But they have all these three-dot marks. And he's going body after body after body. I said, Kikero, come over here and look at this. And that's when... That's when everything clicks into place. Yeah, and that's when you shouldn't have seen that. And <laughs> all the survivors turn into plague bearers and attack, basically. Uh, three Astartes surrounded by a sea of plague bearers. Which is almost a fair fight, according to the, to the, to the Black Library books. Oh, yeah. On the tabletop, it might not work that way, but three Astartes and, and, a, and a couple of hordes of... Yeah, well, as, as we've said many times, um, perspective is a big thing on these books. <laughs> and whoever the book's about will tend to be uh, appear a lot harder than... Yeah. Than but I love it. You can send in a thousand space marines and they'll take a planet. Well, no, you go back to the old books and you send in a handful of space marines and they'll take out a whole planet. Jeez. Yeah, there, there was some. Some of it was some just some proper, um, you know, action hero space marine stuff. But, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you you read the books and Lazfire never never seems to hurt a space marine. You play, <laughs> you'll know that it happens far more often than you would want. <laughs> okay, so now they're getting surrounded. They've got their little circle going. They're all you know. They're running out of ammo. They're getting down to their swords, and all of a sudden, Cerberus comes in, and he goes after these plague bearers like crazy. Yeah, totally he, turns the tide. Because he's badass. Yes, he is. Um, and at that point, like all the fighting's done, and they're looking around, and he's still sitting there hacking at the bodies a bit, <laughs> like, making sure. And so Garrow comes walking up to him, and he looks up at him, and Garrow's like, it's over. And he's like, nope, I will destroy anyone Horus sends against me. And uh, um, he's like, I will, you know, I'll kill anything that comes against me. And he's fighting Garrow, and Garrow's just barely holding him off. Yeah. Uh, he, he says this is the most, most lethal uh, foe he's ever faced with a blade. And Garrow's, um, we see in the fourth one particularly, Garrow's not a, no, no pushover. No, he's no slouch, but this guy's the best he's ever fought. Which I once you know, obviously once you know who he is, like, well, that makes sense. I saw him doing that in the in the first three books. Yeah. Um, they finally get to where they're each like gripping each other's wrists, and they're just like in a battle of you know strength versus strength. And that that this is this is where the the reveal happens. If you hadn't gotten it yet, where he's like, you're not Cerberus, you're Loken, you're Garviel Loken. And we're come here to. To, to get you out of here because uh, Melkador has a job for you. Um, it was really cool, though. You know, he's screaming, no, no, I'm Cerberus. I'm the last loyal one. I'll kill you all. And then when Garo stops and you know drops his weapon and says, I can't beat you. So I'm not going to fight you then. So here, if you have to kill me, it gives him, it shows him his neck. It's that classic gambit that only ever would work in a film or a book. Exactly. Go on, um, do it. Puts the blade to his neck almost. Yeah. Go on, kill me. Just a plea. Nothing, nothing. I have no defense. Just a plea to remember who you are and come back and serve the emperor. 
And that's a great because he says, "Come back to Sir, you know the emperor needs you." And that's Loken looks at him and says, "The emperor protects." Yeah. And then Garrow says, "Yes, he does." Um. And then you get sort of the afterwards. Varen's like, "You took a real risk with this." He goes, "You're right, but you were right. We've lost too many of our brothers, and I wasn't going to kill another one of them." So. You get that. And then Loken's voice is totally different now. He went from, hey, okay, so uh, why did you save me? Yeah. You know, and they go, well, the sigilite needs you. What for? Uh, dude, I don't know. <laughs> That's it. We'll all find that out. Indeed. I mean, we see much later on, we see that, you know, Loken takes a f- goes through a fair bit. Um, just trying to get himself back on track. Yeah, um, you you won't see it uh, where you are in the books, but much later on when he's written about. Oh, he still, shows up again in what book? Oh, oh, um, he has a short story. I think it's called Luna Mendax, and then he appears in. I don't really want to talk about it. He appears in one of the very latest books that's come out. Okay, okay. Don't don't you don't have to tell me anymore. I'm just I'm just glad that he's coming back because I do yeah. like him. There's no there's no kind of it's not oh he's back we it's oh my god is he back oh jeez he's got issues okay <laughs> yeah so it, you know this has scarred him quite deeply okay well um you know what let's let's break next and then we'll come back uh, with burden of duty. And welcome back. Uh, next up, our next Gara story, Burden of Duty. Yeah, you know what? This one might be, I mean, this one might be my favorite. It's a very interesting story. I so. didn't like it as much the first time I heard it. Sure. But listening to it again, uh, I really liked it. I mean, you know, getting Loken back was great. And obviously the fourth one, which is like two and a half hours long almost, yeah, and, and it is, you know, it's a, this full-on story is really good as well. Um, this one's really tight and quick, and it throws up a lot of things. Yeah, it brings up a lot. Of, plus, you get a Primark in it for a long time. Yeah, which is always cool to get one of those characters into it. So, I don't know. Here, let's jump into this. Um, we, this we get that nice description of Terra at the start as well. Yeah, a really good one. Uh, just how it's. They're gearing up for war, and the defenses are going up. The floating continents that are being used as defenses. Floating continents. That's so cool. The whole soul system is preparing for for war. Yeah, they got the uh, secondary line of defense just past Luna, and a tertiary yep. line just past Mars, you know, before they get to the primary defenses. And all right the ship guards powering out ships and everything else. And it's also it, they also sort of lay out that whole, you know, why do they have to come here? People said the war need never come to Terra. Horus could win just by conquering other planets, you know. But it's like no, he can't. He's got to come home. He's got you know he he's got to come home. This is the place that he's got to claim. Yeah, all the other stuff is gravy, and he could have all of it. But if he doesn't have this, he doesn't really have it. No, that's it. Um. A lot of descriptions of not only that, but, but Rogel Dorn being there in charge of all of this and putting it yep. together. 
again we see we see that delved into a fair bit down the line oh is uh, it yeah just um, a lot a few short stories things like that kind of um about him being the protector but but, but being put into that role yeah, there's a really great description. I mean, they basically say that Dorn is the war master in all but name at this point. Yeah, I mean, well, he's he's the one that's there at the moment. You've got um, like the Ultramarines are kind of busy or not heard of at the moment. The Space Wolves are off pros- do, you know, prosecuting Prospero. Um, the White Scars, no one really knows what they're up to because they're the White Scars. Uh <laughs> That's kind uh, of annoying. Have gone off to Cygnus Prime. You know, you, you list through them all. There's like Dawn's the one that's there, that's solid, resolute. You know, he, well, he's also he's, the right guy to be there, though. I mean, he's there. You know, I mean, it's it's not like well, you're here, and it seems almost oh, like you know that's part of the Emperor's plan. You're the guy yeah. for this position. Yeah, he called him there because he's you know master of uh, defenses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So while all that's going on, a little stealth shuttle pops up. Mm. It's no bigger than a land speeder. It's got one passenger, and all you get is one little, I'm on board, proceeding with mission. And that's it. He won't send any more of a signal because that already that little signal compressed in that little message could be caught. Yeah. And you're reading this, Garrow is sneaking on board Dorn's flagship. The phalanx. <laughs> yeah, which is alien tech. The is phalanx. It? It's a massive, massive ship. I mean, it's it's a, a floating citadel in 40K scale. So we talked about big ships. The phalanx is huge, but it's, yeah, it, it was found somewhere and kind of refloated and and, um, and utilized. Uh, I think there's details about it in the uh, relevant Horace Heresy book from Forge World. Jeez. So I'll throw that out there. But, yeah. So, okay. So um, he gets on, and he gets to this huge oval gate. And over the latch is Dorn's symbol. Dorn personally put his symbol there on this latch, meaning you, nobody touches this but me. That's it. And so he goes and pulls out some little thing that, you know, some piece of tech he's been given, which starts cracking the lock. Yeah, he's got, I mean, we've, we've shown already he's got that kind of cloak thing, and he's got this tech. Oh, that's right, he's got the invisibility cloak. <laughs> Yeah, that one that kind of makes a shimmer. Um, they've got, they are totally, it's got all the best tech here. This is, you know, this is not stuff you've seen kind of dotted around legions. This is, this is a, being given all the toys. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exactly, uh, exactly what, what he needs and he comes in there. And, but he is just basically, it, it says he's defying Dorn. Personally, right there. Seems a bit strange, doesn't it? <laughs> so what's he doing on the ship? Invading stealthily. It's like, he's got no gun on him, but he's got his sword. So he's got no gun, so that suggests that he's not there to kind of go fight something. I mean, his sword's almost, you just kind of won't part them with a sword kind of thing. But, yeah, they keep it quite, um, quite well kind of hidden, as it were. Yeah, um... The servitors, the security servitors wake up and they can't even target him because they can't see him properly with his with his invisibility cloak on. So um, he starts taking them. He takes those things out quietly before they can sound an alarm. Inside there, you got these Dorn's soldiers. Yep. 
a cadre of psychers that have been put in isolation. Yes. After the after the the emperor's edict at the council, Dorn grabbed these psychers and locked them up. He, Dorn is nothing if not obedient. Yeah, but it's now it's not all the psychers because there's only about four in there. I thought. No, I think there's I think there's supposed to be more than that. Okay, I thought he said that the, when the guys raised up their weapons, Garrow was holding off all four of them at once. It might have been. I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, it's a cadre of them. I don't know how many that means. Is it, no, I'm trying to remember now. Having say, having listened to the other stories, got confused. But to me, it just showed that when you tell Dawn that you're not allowed to do something, he's like, "Right, well, I'm not going to even touch that, and I'm going to block it away." <laughs> Like, yeah, okay, yeah. It's like Mr. Jobsworth. See, that's what it seems like at first, but then as we get through the story, I kind of like that it's... it's the end is a bit... It, it, it mixes that up a bit, but right at the start, it's like, oh, here we go, Dawn's being a bit of a dick again. See, exactly, that's exactly... I'm like, well, that's great. Yeah, because it is... Uh, I've been told to do it. Go do what I've been told. Well, he actually, that's not what he was told, though. He was told that they are to give up their rank and go back to regular line duty. So grabbing some of them and locking them up is something way outside of what the actual orders were, which is why he comes across as just like, really, everybody else just put him back to work. Yeah, that's what I mean. He, he takes things to extremes. So that, that was the belief, but yeah. So you introduced to Brother Masek, who is one of the guys in this isolation chamber, and he's not asleep because they don't sleep anymore, but he's meditating, and he starts dreaming. Um. About you know what's going on out there, and I love the kid. Here's this voice: "says When the Imperium needs us, Dorn will return for us." And there's that bit in his mind. But what if he doesn't? Yes. You know what if he never comes back for us? What if this is you know? And that's when he hears stuff going on outside, and he hears the servitors, and he hears stuff going on, and he wants to see who's coming, but he he can't. Nope. So then he wakes up the rest of the guy, or get, gets the attention of the rest of the guys. Uh, the door opens up, and again, you get another Clint Eastwood moment where the light's behind him. And the door opens, and he comes walking in. And they're like, drop your weapon. And he's like, no, you need to come with me, Brother Massac. And they're like, uh, no, we fight. We're not <laughs> leaving, because the only person who's supposed to open this is... We're not allowed to do anything until Dorn says so. <laughs> Dorn said we stayed here till he came to get us. You're not yeah. Dorn. So now they are obeying the letter of the law. <laughs> yeah. So even if Dorn never comes and gets us, we've got to stay here and wait for him. Yeah. And so while they're sitting there, they're fighting, and Garrow's purpose, once again, is right on top of his head. Uh, can he hide his thoughts well, or is he not bothering to again? Yeah. Like with Rubio. But Massac can almost see his purpose. Like he, It's right there. All he has to do is turn on his power, and he'll know why this guy's here, the guy who won't tell him. And then you hear, cease. Oh, crap. Yeah. yeah everyone turns around, and it's Rogel Dorn. So everybody bows. Um, and he's like, oh, you. He's like, it's you. Again. And he's looking around like, what in? Like, oh, this is just like. <laughs> uh, I, I've. It, I've been a teacher walking into classrooms where like stuff's going on like this, and you just stop, and it's that guy, and everyone's like, oh, no. And yeah. he's just like, you, really? All right, arrest him. Take him to my chambers. Um, but then Garrow, as they're taking him out, Garrow turns around and nods over at Masik, like, you know, and he can't figure out exactly why it was. 
And then there's Dorn. Dorn looks at them all. I'm sorry, your isolation shouldn't have been disturbed. Go ahead and get back to your meditation. <laughs> like, sorry, really. I mean, I've, you've been locked up here with no contact. They, they don't even know the Great Crusade's over. Yeah, because he actually stops and he says, how goes the crusade? It's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> We're ready and to serve. To be fair, it did kind of, you got the impression that it, it hurt Dawn to then knock them up again. Oh, yeah. So at this point, you're starting to think, well, maybe it's not just Dawn being a dick. Yeah, we stand ready to serve. And he's like, I know, my son. I know you do, my son. And you feel bad from there for a minute because it's like, look, I'd like to let you out of here. Yeah. But I can't. But you're sitting there going. Well, you can. You can. Send them back to normal duty. You're still, it's still Rogel Dorn. Um, then they cut to, over to Dorn's chamber. And it's great because that, you know, it seems huge to him now. When last time he was in there, it seemed a little more crowded. Mm. Um, and Dorn actually said, do you remember the last time you were here? Yeah, I almost killed you. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I remember I brought you some hard truths. That's well, the- it's, it's Dawn, yeah, absolutely. And Dorn's like, yeah. <laughs> he, uses the, yeah he uses the punch as a threat to death. Yeah, remember it's that? Because like, I yeah. almost killed you. That's what I remember. Yeah, uh, and I won't hold back this time. Because um, it's actually Dawn that uses the War Master in all but name line. Yeah, I am Which the War Master in all but name. It's like a bit of ego. It's like, that's a dangerous thing to be kind of, does that show that Dawn wanted it all the time? Oh, he probably did. But that's his burden, is that yeah. he's the war ambassador, but not in name. So I'm responsible for organizing all this stuff. I don't have the authority or the title. That's my burden. I have I have to do all this. And it's, and I don't even think he's saying, and I'm not getting recognition for it. He's saying, I have to do it without any sort of, hey, I'm doing it because I'm, you, know, you have to do it because I'm in charge. It, He's got yeah. all the responsibility, but not necessarily the charge. I love when he goes off. I know what Melkador's work. Uh, his work seems to defy the emperor. I look, you don't walk into my. You don't. You don't sneak in here. Walk around, open it, and think you're going to walk away clean. And he does. You owe me your life. I, I saved you. I picked you up out there. I'm the one who found you and brought you back here. I'm the one who didn't kill you when you said that stuff about my brother. Yeah, which, which seems to me. A bit of a <laughs> kind of sly there. It's like, yeah, you know, I should have killed you for giving me the truth. <laughs> I didn't, did I? Yeah. but oh, No, was, it wasn't even I should have killed you for telling me the truth. It was that you, you're oh, going to yeah. say that to me about my brother. You were out of line. You got out of line with me. You were out of place. You were talking about people above your rank. All the things <laughs> you don't do in military. No, you but as I say. Defied some- orders. <laughs> But he was giving information that had to be given over. So it's, it's, yeah. it's one of those things. It's like, really? But, I mean, that was my problem with Dawn in the first place. Yeah. But he, definitely you hear, you see that, I mean, Dawn said, you know, Malkador seems to be doing these things. There's an obvious, immediately there, there's an obvious difference of opinion between Malkador and Dawn. Yeah. Um, and it shows that maybe the whole Imperium isn't quite working uh, the same way towards the, uh, the goals. Which is weird, because you think the Emperor would be orchestrating everything equally, and that keeps bringing up the question of where's the Emperor? Because if Melkador's running his own thing, and Dorne's running his own thing, and they're running, obviously, what seem at odds, you know, what's, where, what's going on? Last, last we knew is he was um, busy still with his grand plan. Yeah, I know he had the 5 by 5 Rubik's Cube thing going on there, I gotcha. Exactly. Um, I also like that um, 
kind of Garrow stands up to Dawn is almost like Dawn's like we get because we get to the point where Dawn's like tell me what's going on he's like I can't I can't he's like well tell me what's going on no I can't you do realise who I am yep I'm still not going to tell you you do realise I can just not let you go yeah he says you'll stay here forever (laughs) that's when but that's when Masik arrives which I thought was ballsy of him just showing up Yes. Oh, well, yeah, he's broken. I mean... Well, I mean, Doran apparently didn't close him in there, though, before he left to go talk to Garrow. Oh, it's wait there, though. And he didn't give him leave to leave. Exactly. And again, we see later on when a, a very prominent member of the Imperial Fists doesn't quite follow the what was expected of him to the letter. And it's pretty severe kind of opinion that's given by Dawn. So, yeah, it is pretty brave. Yeah, but he says, I know why he's here. It's so close to the top. I can find out for you. And Dorn's mm. like, um... And you can tell Dorn's like... It, it makes it very clear Dorn is not happy about his inability to use psychers. Like, it would make his life so much easier if he could use them. But, but he's been told not to. Yeah. So he gets mad. No, dude, no. Are you kidding me? The Emperor said no. Why would you even ask me that? You know we can't. Um, but then Garrow says, I'll meet you halfway. My mission is to talk to him anyway, so I will tell him exactly what's going on. He can yeah. tell if I'm lying or not. Yeah, without so, having to try, yeah. Yeah. So Dorn leaves the two of them together in this one place where they can talk and they can't be overheard. And uh, Garrow opens up by asking Masek about his dreams, which I thought was cool. Like a total different tack. Like I wasn't expecting that. Oh, yeah. His information's good. Yeah, his information's really good. I know what you dream. that you ha- And he's like, he hasn't told anybody about this. But he tells him about his dreams of Horus coming to Terra, terror and demons are attacking. Um, And so Garrow's like, you know, he's like, well, why would you even, how do you even know about this? And so Garrow tells him everything. Tells him that the the crusade's over, that the the, the the civil war's broken out, all this stuff. And he says, listen, you know, I'm here because Malkador wants you to join him and do this stuff. And he says, no. He goes, my legion is first. And he's like, and this is great because Carol's like, are you, are, we, you, you don't want to get back in the fight? You want to go back in the, in the, in your closet? Yeah, I mean, it, it might be really big. It might be spacious, but they're basically standing around yeah. doing nothing all day. This is the kind of this is the moment in every kind of book. Otherwise, that we say, "Oh, this speech is brilliant," and it turns his opinion. And the speech is brilliant, but it doesn't turn his opinion. <laughs> Not one bit. Which is just which is kind of cool. He does his duty like a good imperial fish should. Yeah, he says his loyalty is to Dorn and his legion first, and he's like, "You would sit in isolation." I'm like they're like he's he's tossed you aside he's he's doing all this to you and he goes no he told me I will wait here until he needs me and so that's what I am doing I and it, he actually says I have faith in it yeah he goes do you he goes really you think he just you you think he knows the big and he goes listen if Dorden says it then I don't have any doubt I say yeah and if you are right and the and Horace is coming here then my place is right where my Primarch put me, right here, till he needs me. And he's like, no, I have faith. And he goes, I understand that. I know the burden of duty all too well. And I like that runs through all the different characters. 
Yes. You've got Garrow's duty doing things that are underhanded now. I mean, this is these this the first mission, it was kind of shady the way he pushed Rubio to join. Now on this mission, which is the third one we're hearing about, sneaking in, you know, picking locks, coming in like a thief. Yeah, it's you not know. the arrow. <laughs> right. And he goes, I understand the burden of, you know, hey, I do what I have to do too, you know. Um, but whereas Garrow's sort of doing what he has to do to stay in the game as well. You know, he doesn't always like what Melchador's telling him, but if he wants to fight Horus, yeah, he this trusts is what he gets. And he's looking yeah. and he's saying, if you want to fight, this is you need to come with us. He's like, no, no, I am fighting. I'm just not doing it how you do it. I'm doing it by doing what I'm... It's just, it, was, it was weird, but it was kind of fantastic in a way. Like, I wasn't expecting the... I was expecting no. another, you know... Exactly, yeah, you, you expect it for another member to join the crew. Right, and it seemed interesting. Like, why is he in there? No, I'm going. I'm going back into my room now. Yeah, um, and that's what's great. You walk out, and at the last chapter, Dorn is waiting for him, and he's like, "Oh, a shuttle showed up to get you." <laughs> he goes, and it's, it's from the Regent. So, you know, I guess you, I guess you do have a way off of here, which is just, I think is more infuriating because they, they, you know, he snuck on and they captured his thing. He had to know he was going to get captured. You know, he knew he would get captured. Yeah. The Sigilite knew he would get captured. So maybe it's even a way of the Sigilite trying to talk Dawn into kind of seeing that he needs to change the way he's thinking. Yeah. But he's going to sneak in. Look, he, he's, you know, he's, you know, I can sneak in here. I can, you know, he can do. It was just, it was interesting because then the shuttle shows up. Yep. We're ready for him. He's, I could kill you. You know, you show up and stuff. Do I have to? That's when he gets so angry, do I have to protect myself from my own side? Yeah, and we start to see that. And this, yeah, I say this. This is carried on in a few books. Yeah, and they they both got very different attitudes, and both believe the other ones can uh, can can change their view. Yeah, I mean, but it's really cool because you do see this Rogaldorn who still holds to these beautiful idealistic views. Well, yeah. You know, we are the good guys. We shouldn't have to dis... We, I know I'm the good guy. Malkador, I know you're the... We should be working together. This backdoor, shady, scheming stuff that you're pulling, it, it's, it's, this, is what the en- this is how the enemy got corrupted. So it's this interesting argument between them. But I do like that he tells Garrow, I know you're loyal, but my issue is with Malkador. And I, you know, I'm worried that your loyalty is not placed properly. Yeah. I know you're loyal to the Emperor, and Melkador's his right-hand man, but I don't know that what Melkador's doing is right. No. And then he took it anymore, and this is for you and him. Don't test the tolerance of the Imperial Fists again. Next time you show up like this, I'll kill you. Yeah, and he will. Oh, he will. <laughs> oh, he will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, he basically looked at him and said, this is your one get-out-of-jail-free card. You ever pulled it? And tell Malkador, if I ever catch you and you're doing this on his orders again, I'll still kill you. Yeah. It's like, oof. Um, well, then we get the final, say, the uh, the knowledge that Dawn's, you know, he's like, you're wasting these troops. He's like, I'm not wasting them. I'm keeping them close for when I need them. That And that is so great because he's like, you know, you think you and Malkador think you know everything. Yeah. And you, and you don't, and because you know, they're they're ready to fight, they're so strong, they're ready. No, no, it's which is it's, cool because go ahead, go ahead. I mean, you could read it like 
Oh, no, oh my god, that's awesome. Dawn's amazing, which is cool. Um, there is the possibility that it's just, it's a clever thing to say to shut them up. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. I don't it, care what you say. It could be a clever thing to shut them up, but I really like the idea that, listen, we know they're using them because we know what Magnus is doing. We know that they're not, you know, they don't care what the Emperor says. The, I may need these guys, whether it's as an early warning or something. So what's he doing? He's keeping them isolated and away, keep meditating, keep or pure. Yeah, or he's got a specific plan. Yeah. But, but you know that if this is the case, it's long term. And this is, you know, this is like playing the long game big time. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. It's definitely playing, as you put it, uh, he's playing the long game. Um, but it's interesting that he's like, Emperor, decree it or not, there's a good chance I'm going to need these guys. And that's why he didn't take every, I mean, if he had every psyker, it would be a huge place. Garrow couldn't have walked in there and held his own against every psyker. Absolutely. In, so they've got a group. These are his handpicked group. I know I can trust you. I know you're clean. You're not tainted by the warp. I need you to be here and stay. I mean, basically, your job from now until I need you is to stay clean. Might be his most powerful ones. Yeah. Or the highest ranking ones or something. So, yeah. Yeah. But I need you here. right? And, that's what he, and he says something about that. I, I have him right in the heart of, my, of yeah. my bastion, where I know I can call on them at any time. They're right here. They're not going to get corrupted. They're not going to be out there. Nothing's going to happen to them. I'm like, oh, that, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Finally, Dawn's been awesome. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons I really liked it. <laughs> I really liked that one a lot. It was a really different, cool little story. Yeah. All right. So um, one more break, and then we'll do the first half of Sword of Truth. We'll break this up into two parts because it is a longer, uh, a longer listen. And we're back for book four, Sword of Truth. Yes, yes. I like this one a lot. Yeah. I did like it. It's pretty cool. I was a little surprised when I looked and it said it was going to be like over two hours. I was like, well, huh? Because it's basically just about as long as the first three all put together. Yeah, it's a bit different. Yeah. Cool. Um. This is a good story, though. I did like it. I, I, I know we talked about this before, you and I, just, but uh, I just having uh, Mesa Far in there, when you know what's going to happen with him, made it very. Uh, there was no real. It wasn't a real mystery as to who the bad guy was going to turn out to be, uh, and maybe that's not the point. But it just seemed to turn into a pot boiler. It was like the Scooby Doo. It's like, oh, okay. You're the guy. I got you. Now let's just see how it works, plays itself out. I mean, did you get that feeling at all? I mean... Yeah, um, it was... Lim- I, I'm trying to remember... I think I'd forgotten that Varen was already in the f- previous ones, the first time I listened to it. But I still kind of had the same feelings listening to it the second time. I listened was- to them all, like, just... I got them all at one time, so it was like, blam, heard them all. Yeah, I mean, listening to them the second time, obviously, I knew what was going on, but um, I, I still think it was obvious both both ways around, um, yeah. nature of the best, really. I think it was quite, uh, I quite like the fact that we had Varen's backstory, almost. 
Yeah, it, that was that was appreciated because world leaders are weird characters for me. Like I really like them. I really do. I I like the concept and I like that that the that group of space marines. But they do. They, I mean, you know, every time you read these books, it's like and you get a world leader's point. It's like everybody else thinks we're just bloodthirsty and crazy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, kinda, yeah. Yeah, the butcher's nails have their effect. Yeah, so it's nice to see when other things happen. Yeah. So I guess we should jump into this chapter uh, one. You get a no. That, oh, that's actually it. Actually, is the first book that gets an introductory, like preface and a little introduction chapter. Um, but then chapter two. Chapter two is 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 one of the great short book setups. Or if you're come, you know. This is like one of those little series recaps. You get them on in, whenever you get into a long series, because at some point someone might have just picked this book up. So, obviously, on Garrow, and it's great. Yeah. He's on the moon. Well, yeah, thinking about the heresy. We just happen in on him in a moment when he's standing there, staring out the window, thinking yeah. about the heresy, and then boom, fill you in. That's it. Um, That's yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and then Rubio shows up. And in case you missed the first Garrow book, he could read Garrow's mind, but it wasn't right. Okay, there's a nice tip-off. Then we get the uh, Council of Ikea story. We get a little more of the backstory and a little of Rubio's story. He's unhappy because his armors, they finally got him to give up his Ultramarine's armor, which I wasn't, I guess I, I realized it would be difficult for him, but you really sat down and were like, you sort of went into it a bit as to why this would just like totally tear this guy up. Yeah, potentially it's um, it's the last ties to his legion. Like Garrow's lost his legion. Um, you know, there's no going back. That was pretty final for the seventy that made it off of the Eisenstein, and those those kind of guys have got no turning back. But um, Rubio used his powers against the. Uh, edict and walked away from his legion um, and this is him kind of like there's no way back once you've given up the armor yeah so yeah it's, it's a bit of a different story for rubio yeah he's not letting go of it well he's very upset um in fact that's in chapter four he sees the ghost armor he's really not happy but uh you know he accepts it they put it all on he's born anew he's a new warrior they give him a psychic hood. Oh yes, which right there is like I'm like, oh, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, and it's the real kind of over agreement that you know that Malkador's playing a different game. Yeah, because no one else has really had an official not acknowledgement that they can go and use their psychers, as we've talked about. But um, this is Malkador, kind of like, yep. Does he get a lot of a hard time? Well, I mean, if he's walking around with a psychic hood, I mean, pretty much he's got the mark of the sigilite. Anyone who wants to say anything to him can go jump in a lake, pretty much. Am I correct? Uh, they could still talk to him about it. Yeah. They still agree with it if you're high enough up, obviously. I mean, the local um, army men's probably not going to say anything as you walk past, but there'll be whispers and everything else like that. Aha. Uh-huh. I just love the idea. I love the I love the concept of psychic powers in 40k. As once again, as a guy who doesn't play too much, uh, and I saw that Ultramarines movie, and you know, he's like burn the heretic. I'm like, that's the coolest thing. And everyone's like, yeah, that doesn't ever happen in the game. I'm like, oh, 
Yeah, but books and very different things. So. I like, I like, I like them having a sort of bizarro, you know, science fiction magic phase. So when he puts yeah. the hood up, I'm like, this is cool. He's going to start throwing around force lightning and stuff. Definitely showing um, Malkador's getting ready for that phase of the war. Yeah, <laughs> he's not. Uh, he's not slowing down. But no. so he gets his weapons, and they do mention that when he gets his sword, it's uh, it's a gladius. It's not a standard. Yeah, so they, yeah again, they, they're giving him like a link back to the legion. Yeah, to try and you know a bit of showing his his old ties and that. At least something, you know. It's like I may not have, you know, some, at least some acknowledgement that he, he something, you know, what he what he had done before. Um. And then Rubio is the okay. He's this the whole Aquila symbol keeps coming up. Rubio is kind of you know now with his powers coming in that that you know Garrow's thoughts right on the top of his head. He's picking up more and more of this chit chat about or this thoughts about the Aquila, which shows up in actually in in the second book, uh, second one where he asks him about it when they find it on the on the dead bodies. Yeah. So. Here he's just getting the first senses of it, but then in comes Kararin. Uh, he's a custodian, but he's—I mean, how how strange is it for that he's got a sword with twin bolt guns instead of a spear? Every drawing I've ever seen of them, everything I ever read, they all have those long spears as weapons. So, I mean, is the fact that they're pointing out that he's carrying a sword with the double bolt guns part of it—is that? Does that really stand out, or is it just okay? He's a little different. I mean, I think it's more like he might be a sergeant kind of thing. Okay. I don't think it's, uh, yeah, it's not the, the more common is the foot as the halberd with the twin gun bolts, but you know, I don't think it's much of a stretch to think that some of the uh, the um, let's say whatever you call them, lieutenants or whatever might have swords. Okay. And he just walks in, he's like, you're going to follow me, and walks out. And uh, it's funny, because he treats them exactly like they treat humans when they need them to do something. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not here to debate with you, do what I said. And uh, it's funny, because Garrow does not like that at all. Like, he really doesn't, he doesn't take the talking down to as easily as they seem to give it out. No, Garrow's a bit more of a reasonable chap anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to jump at the first offense, but... Yeah, yeah. this um, this Custodes, I mean, as we said, that Custodes are a measure above Space Marines. Um, we see that in later books particularly. Um, and, well, later in this book as well, but specific, specifically later on in books, it really comes to the fore. But, um, yeah, so he's like, A, he's got that superiority complex, and B... He, as we see, he doesn't really trust Garrow's roots, right? Or the fact that Rubio's a psycho. So. Yeah, and in fact, uh, he tells him basically, "You're going to take us, and we're going to take him to this ship that's off of Terra, and we'll tell you more later." And so he's, you know, he's rude. He's not giving him any information. He's not nice to him. Uh, he only tells him they're going to face some traitors, which is why these guys. Especially you, Garrow, might be helpful. So yeah. Garrow's like, okay, and now you know. So they take this shuttle up on Chapter Six to the Norlandia, 
It's kilometers long. It, they say it looks like a massive elongated castle. Yep, the good old 40k scale of yeah. vessels. And uh, now they're actually just outside of Mars. Like they've already, when, they, when these guys showed up, um, the people that they're going to see on these ships, they're not letting them any closer than Mars. They've got them stopped there. Uh, they have defenses right now set up around Earth and near around you know the moon, and they've they've stopped them at Mars just in case because they don't have any idea who to trust anymore. No, that this is um, taking no chances now. Um, you just had a number of legions turn to Horus. Who knows what else has turned? So. The soul system is being used as a buffer in itself. Yeah. So now, w- during the the time that they're traveling, Kararin goes in and he demands exclusive use of the training room. Nobody else can be in there when I'm in there. And uh, you know he's pounding on the servitor robots, the fighting mechs, until there's none left. He's destroyed every one of them. And oh, we- go ahead. Yeah. Just yeah. He's badass. Yeah, and uh, then Garrow comes in, and he's like, uh, you know, you're all done. He's like, well, why don't you fight me? You can at least give me a little better workout than these terrible robot things. So Garrow's like, okay, whatever. And so they, they have this little battle. They say they're going to go to a mark. They're going to fight to, uh, you know, when, when one can mark the other one. And um, so Karan is, like, pounding on him, and Garrow's pretty good with his sword from everything I've read. Oh yes. I mean, Loken is up there. Loken was was fighting with Lucius, and Garrow fought Loken, pretty much to a standstill. I mean, he was losing there because of the you know when he was all crazy with his crazy rage. But yeah, uh, yeah it's I mean, um, he's no slouch, and this guy is just like handling him. Yeah, he's yeah he's playing with him. He's toying with him. He's he's fighting you know well within himself. Part of his arrogance, but yeah, it just shows you when we talk about custodies being a level above space marines. You know, Garrow's, you know, captain of the Death Guard. He's done pretty well for himself. Yeah, and as as you say, this custodian, as we we see later on, that Garrow lasts a lot longer than than others would. Yeah, but um, so he he realizes he's in trouble, and so he throws in this last, you know, final effort and manages to disarm Kararin and Kararin stops and looks at him and he's disarmed and turns around to walk away and Garrow gets up and now Garrow's ticked because he's like, we were playing to a mark you would have marked me and he turns around and Kararin looks at him and says dude you mark this armor I'll kill you yes which I once again I was like oh man he's he's even worse of a jerk because he's Welshing on a bet but you were pointing out how ornate and fine and yeah, old that armor probably their, is, and their armor's a bit different. Like all down the the whole name is like loads of words long. I mean, right. like strings, strings, and strings of words long, and it's all etched into their armor, starting at their collar, I think, and works all the way round, and and all this, and it's ornate beyond ornate. And Garrow had won; he had disarmed him. So you've got an enemy without a weapon to then stop himself being marked. It's like if, if you marked it in battle, then it's, it's a mark. But once you've got your enemy kind of without a, a weapon, then 
it's like it's like I'm playing chess and I've taken off everything but your king and I've still got a queen and two rooks left. You know, the game's only going to go one way. Yeah. So you could understand if you're trying to be really nice to uh, whatever his name is, Custodes, you could understand that part of it. Right. But the way he does it isn't necessarily quite that way. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's still a bit, um, it's still a bit of an ass. So uh, basically, Garrow turns this around to his advantage because you know he's a clever guy, he's a clever little space marine, and uh, he's basically like, well, then you owe me information. If you're not going to pay me in, if you're not going to pay me in, uh, you know, with this mark, then uh, yeah. I'll let yeah. you out. I'll, I'll you know, but tell me what's going on at least. So he shows him all these ships out there, and there's a world eater ship right at the front. It's called the Dagger Line, and they got to figure out if any of these guys are spies or traitors. Yeah, um, that was kind of yeah. He Karard is very. He's like, you know what? They're probably spies or traitors, and it's easier if we just kill them all. That's his opinion. He like he if he had his way, just they're, they're they they could be a threat. Eliminate possible threats. Yeah, he's taking that. Ultra, you know, that ultra defensive stance. He can't. He's willing to kill however many people are in this convoy, and the space marines, and you know, on the extremely small percentage chance that someone can get into Terra to cause problems, or even worse, to the Emperor himself. Their collateral damage. He couldn't care less. He really couldn't. No, and that's a lot of people. And that upsets Garrow really bad. Uh, and he's like, I don't even care what you think because I'm not too certain about you. Mr. World Eater, or not World Eater, Mr. Uh, Death Guard. And Garrow doesn't like that. And he's like, and listen, I don't care what the Sigilite says either. Your buddy uses his psychic hood. I, I see that thing in front of me. I'll kill him. Yeah. He's like, oof. Yeah, again, we're talking about the Sigilite might have given his authority, but there's different authorities being used here, so they don't always work together. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um,. I like it because you get a little bit of that. You start to see the structure and the way things flow. But if Malkador says that he speaks for the Emperor, he's like, I speak directly to the Emperor. I don't need Malkador to speak to me. That's kind of how I'm almost imagining this sort of thing rolling about and going through. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, you start to see the levels. Because when you get to 40K and it's like, oh, my God, the bureaucracy and the, you know, you read some of the stories, especially from those Forge World books, those big stories, like, you know, the exterminatus comes in, you know, when you're uncertain about something like this. Yeah. And yeah. Then, yeah. And, and even in 40K, it shows you the, the, the kind of different levels. You can have an inquisitor saying one thing, and then a space marine captain turns up and says something else about the way they're going to do things, and they're at loggerheads. Um, so we see it all, all through lots of things. Yeah. So... Um, at this point, we kind of cut back to Rubio. You can't leave him out of the story for too long. He's mad because Kararan has no right to do what he's doing, and uh, and he, he, you know, he doesn't he doesn't even care. He's like, listen, I've got a lot of authority, and you know, that's just all it is. And he's like, you know, he he gets it though, so he's going to start doing research, you know, regular straight up research. Um, and this is where you find out that they're mostly civilians. And also that the Nordlandia is on a zero-tolerance alert. Any ship moves out of the formation, they get a single warning, 
Hey, you're out of formation. Sorry, get back. Hey, you're out of formation. Anything other than that? Death. Yeah, we've we've already seen. He, he's not one to mess with. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you, can you can completely understand that with um, you know news of Isfan and what's going on. Yeah. Um. And the thing is, that's just this is basically the fundamental difference between them, and they keep bringing it up. There could be traitors. Doesn't equal kill them all to Garrow. And so that this is where the huge rift comes between Garrow and Kararin. Yeah, it's um, it's Garrow's trying to see, yeah, more solutions than than just the defensive ultimate solution of getting rid of any possible threat. Yeah. He, he's, there's a morality in his justice that that's a lot of the times what seems to be happening here. Him yeah. trying to reconcile all these different this different morality and these different uh, beliefs. Um, so <laughs> the Nordlandia comes in, the giant kilometers long super ship and just all the guns train on all the refugee ships and it's like, you know guess what? Just remember we could kill you. <laughs> And then they call they call the ship. They call the Nordlandian. Karan's like, ignore it. He's like, let him sit. Let him wait. And so Garrow's like, no, whatever. And so Garrow talks to him, and it's, it's uh, Mesa Varen, a former captain of the World Eaters. That's uh, how he identifies himself. And we all know him from the second book. He, he becomes Garrow's buddy, sort of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, he's in charge of all these refugees, and he's like, "You're, you know, we don't trust you, and you're not going anymore." And I'm gonna not talk to you, and it, it's not going well. Kararin is not not being even the slightest bit diplomatic. Not that it's a surprise at this point in the book, or the the audio drama. No. But so Garrow jumps in and says, "Hey, we'll come over there." <laughs> and so a volunteer is so like, "Crap, no, great." Yeah, he- you do wonder if he's doing it just to wind the custodian up. <laughs> well, plus he wants to get to the bottom of it. He does, but yeah. It, you know, I just, yeah, you look at it a little bit, and it's like, yeah, just wants to kind of make sure that he's going against him as well. Yeah, well, see, I th- I thought that too a little bit because it just seemed like he was just doing the exact opposite of whatever he said. You know, he'll never let them over here, so I'll just volunteer us to go there type of stuff. But then when they uh, shuttle over and Garrow jumps off he knows Varen so I yeah. just figured he wasn't doing it so much to wind him up as so much as I know this guy let me look him in the face yeah the, the primary reason is that but I, it, underneath it there might be you know I really should go over there to make sure I can do this face to face because he's that kind of guy yeah that's how he'd want to deal with everyone face to face but so just right. volunteering but to it, do it too it just so happens that it will really annoy him as well <laughs> So Varen's asking him about his armor because he's like, you know, in these ten of times, what does this mean? Uh, Garrow's like, I'll explain that to you later. Um, but uh, Varen says he had a handful of loyalist world eaters who were on the ship with him, and they saw what was going on on Istvan. And there were also some emperor's children with them, and they ran and followed Garrow. They're like, we're not going to be any part of this. And Carreran's just about to have kittens. Two traitor units? So yeah. this this is worse than this is this has gone to DEFCON five. 
he's just like, oh, no, this is even worse, you know. But then the white scars show up, and he's like, oh, well, the white scars aren't traitors, so this is awesome. How come you didn't tell us about them? Well, we didn't get to that part yet. And that's when they ran, but with the warp storms, they got spit out, and there happened to be a bunch of white scars there. And they got separated from their unit, so they all teamed up together. I think it was about this point. I thought, yep, it's the white scars. <laughs> Plus, they made the guy sound like Ming the Merciless. I mean, I realize, but it was just... Yeah. It's, it's it's tough to do. I mean, they do have that sort of way of speaking. And, and, that, and that's fine. I mean, it's, it, it, there was nothing wrong with it. It's just like when the Emperor, or when Malkador, I thought, sounded like the Emperor from Star Wars. It's just, it's, it reminded me of this completely other voice, and I just had a little trouble taking it seriously, but that's just me. Yeah, uh, I think later on as well, when they get their own books, you see that they don't always, um, their their language is, when they speak in Gothic, it's kind of a broken Gothic as well. They don't necessarily. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, they don't necessarily have a, a natural affinity to be able to speak these other languages as as most people do. They're, they're a li- there's a little bit of a block in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't bother me that much. I was just making fun of it. Um, <laughs> but so they all kind of join up, and Kararan salutes the white scars in their normal saluting pattern, and he's showing them all this respect, and Garrow's like, wow, wow. That's how he acts around people that he likes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Garrow says, basically, we'll make a decision quickly, and we'll figure this out, um, because he want, he doesn't want... Karar and to make a hot mess out of this. He's trying to smooth things over right away and set a deadline so Karar can't be screwing around trying to look for stuff that's not there. Yeah. Um, and Rubio, meanwhile, senses something. A presence I've not felt since. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the meeting's over, and this is great. You're back in Garrow's room. Nobody spoke on the shuttle ride back. Like, everyone was pissed at everyone. Rubio was in his own thoughts. Garrow and Carrara are like, you know, mean mugging each other. And uh, yeah. basically, Rubio shows up to talk and says, someone on the dagger line is lying. I don't know who, but I could tell. Yeah, the plot thickens. Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't use it too much because, you know, Carrara warned him, so... By putting that restriction on him, it, it adds to the intrigue. But someone's there who's not right. And then magically the white scars call. And if you didn't think it was them when they found him in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. it's um, Even though this one's longer than the others, it's still not a very long story. I mean, you know, I'm listening to audio books now, short books that are 13 hours long. So everything... It's hard to do a story with more than just a very straightforward uh, kind of plot like the others were. This is slightly more complicated. It's yeah. hard to do that with all the nuances that you have to. Uh, at some point, it breaks down to be a little bit more obvious. Exactly. I mean, like I said, I'm just it's 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 funny. I realize it was it was necessary. I did enjoy this book. I'm not lying, but I mean, when you have to tell a story that they probably could have done a whole book with. You know, a whole full-length well, book, and they it, turned it into a cool it, audio drama. Yeah, they could have done a decent amount of it. In, in, yeah, as we said, he's done 
a lot, but I think you're always going to be, particularly with an audio drama as well, because it's a slightly different way of telling the story rather than have everything just written down on the page. Oh, absolutely. But, and I'm sure that actually, to be fair, there are probably some people listening to this who are saying they didn't see it coming quite as obviously as you and I did. Well, then I apologize if I'm sounding snarky then, because that was... I mean, it might be, but I mean, I don't... I mean, to me it was, but you're still wondering... You're wondering if there's going to be another twist in there kind of thing. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it might just be one of those things that we saw earlier that other people didn't. But, yeah, as we said, there's there's two or three moments in this where it's a, just a little bit more um, obvious than that would be in a novel, so. Yeah. So he basically tells Garo that the Emperor's children are are definitely something's wrong with them. He knows they're traitors. Um, they're having lodge meetings, and then I got to go before I get caught. And Garrow yeah. says nothing to Kararin because if Kararin knows about this, he'll just kill everybody. Yes. And as soon as he decides that Kararin calls for him, so he's like, oh, crap. Does he know? Did he sneak in on the message? Um, and so Kararin calls him over there basically so he could hear what his decision is, which is all the ships are going to be thoroughly sh- searched. Um. And basically, as Garrow points out, that'll take months, weeks if not months, for each ship to s- thoroughly go through them. And they've only got a few weeks' supply of like food left. He's like, you are going to sow panic and fear throughout this. He's like, you, you, you know, this is going to be really bad. And he's like, don't tell me what to do. And of course, you know, as he's finishing that sentence, one of the ships... A tanker breaks out of formation and tries to make a run for it. Yeah, I, this is, we spoke about this before. I, this is something I really liked about this book was um, with everything that's going on. If it was just a, it was if it was just a ship of space marines, then they could just hold them on Luna, say, or somewhere, and just hold them, and that wouldn't be a problem. But with all these humans, that's um, they work as a time a time limit. They work as a clock that has to that then drives the rest of the story. It was it's a it's a it's a good device and it works. I mean, heck, it worked for about three or four seasons on Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you watch the new season, I mean, it was always about well, we can do all this. Wait, except there's these humans, and not these humans, but these non you know they well civilians in Battlestar Galactica. Here, it's the humans. It's it's a it's a it's a well used device. Yeah, and, it, and it's handled well. It's done quite subtly in this. So uh, the Mistral's going, and the Nordlandia's getting ready to wipe it out, and Rubio's like, there's something wrong on that ship. And Garrow gets on, and he's calling to it, please stop, please don't do this, you're going to get... Boom, they blow it out of the sky. And uh, Garrow kind of loses it. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't really blame them for... uh no, I'm just saying, but this, I mean, he turns around and, and puts his hand on his sword and gets in Kararin's face with this. And it's like, oh, boy, they're going to throw down, you know, like everybody. And he goes, yeah, he's egging him on, isn't he? Yeah, you know, you want to do it? Yeah. I mean, Rubio, I mean, this is I mean, this is like every movie you've ever seen. Rubio's in between them, push a hand on each chest. Back up, back up, back up, guys. Hey, relax. Garrow, you don't want to do this. And Kararin's like getting in his face. They're going to do what I say or they're going to die. What are you going to do about it? It's just like, uh-oh. Yeah, that's it. And uh, then as that ends, you get, a, you get an intermission. You get a musical interlude. 
which I thought was funny because all of a sudden it just broke into music for a little bit. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? Yeah, well, that's it. it it's um, nature of uh, having it in CD-sized chunks. Yep. We had to change to the second CD. So, yeah, music break, change CDs. And with that, you know what? Let's take us a quick little break, and we'll come back and finish up this book and finish up the episode. All right, and we are back, back on the dagger line with Garrow, the Sword of Truth. Um, I like this. Varen, Varen's on the ship, and you get a little insight into him, and it's cool. How the dagger line is—it's a, a good ship. He likes this ship, but this is his final mission either way because you know it's associated with the, all this. So, no matter how they're found, this ship's getting scuttled, and yeah. uh, Varen is just so upset. They blew up that ship. That moved out of formation. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Nobody's talking to him. Um, it's frustrating. <laughs> They've come all that way back. Yeah, and uh, and they're just getting nowhere. And of all the Legion guys to just push their buttons and get them more and more angry. That's yeah, it's be, yeah. The, the butchers' nails are just trying to get him angrier and angrier. Exactly. I mean, all Space Marines are badasses, but this one. I mean, it's like, well, really, the world eater is the one? It's like world eaters, maybe space wolves, a couple of guys that you don't want to just have them freaking cut loose. No. So, uh, but now, Rubio and Garo, they sneak over to the dagger line, which is cool. They, they, they take a shuttle on minimal power by jumping around through the debris of the ship that Kararin blew up so that he won't know that they're going over there. <laughs> Oh, yes. It's a classic. Yep. And so uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the best one since detaching and sneaking away when they dump their space trash. So, um, but then you get this thing because Varen's upset and he's, he's, he's mad. He's yelling at Garrow. He's mad at Kararin. But then he's angry at, he said how he's angry at Horus. And, uh, you know, he's angry at... Um, Angra, and he's pissed at everybody now. He's like, this is just so not what our lives were supposed to be. No, that's it. And I suppose the other thing for the custodies is they haven't got any real way to fight back because they're bodyguards. So until the fight gets to terror, right? Yeah, the chances of them having a fight are, are pretty small. So Garo comes up and basically says, "Listen, I agree with you on all of this. That's why we're here." And, you know, Kararin finds out we're here. We're going to be in trouble, too. But we know that something's going on, and we want to figure out what it is, too. So they go over there, and uh, they're moving around, and, and Rubio senses that thing that he sensed before. He doesn't know what it is, but he's going off to find it. He's following the psychic resonance of whatever this evil is that's, you know, on the ship. Yeah. Um. And Garrow's being very careful around Varen, which is great. Back with Varen. Because um, Varen's just, he's like, he's, he's worn out. And he's angry, and he's not this, this is not the type of leadership he does. No. You know? No, he's being pushed to his limits. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I am really, I'm out of my depth, I'm out of my comfort zone, and this is never ending, and I did everything in the name of the Emperor, and I am getting crap for it. And we, we, and you know, 
Garrow, at, 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 at the very least, is sympathetic to this. Oh, yeah, yes, definitely. So, uh, you know, he's asking Varen about the trust, you know, if they trust each other, or who he trusts. Dave, you heard about the lodges. Uh, Varen hates the lodges, has banned his people from being a part of it. He asks if Rakishio's people could be in it, who is the leader of the uh, Empress Children. And yeah. uh, that's when he shows up, and he's all offended. He's like, you know, really going to ask about me behind my back? Yeah, at this point we've seen, we see very clearly that everyone's kind of worked out that the lodges are not good in their own system. So you would hope that they've gone through, you would hope that other legions have then started to go through their kind of lodge groups to work out who's... Yeah, and as it seems like they're about to start getting to the bottom of things, Kararin calls everybody, I want representatives from all the legions waiting on the landing deck. So they all go down to the landing deck, and Garrow and, <laughs> and, uh, um, Garrow goes with, and he's like, they're all looking at Garrow like, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. Like, you know, and that, uh, you know, because people are mad at him. They blame him for the, the all the deaths and all these things going on. And uh, the ship never shows up. Kararin teleports in, and you know, which I guess is a fancier, more expensive way of travel. Um, quicker, because people comment on it. You know, ooh, look. Well, it's yeah, it's slightly more dangerous. It's slightly less common back then. Yeah. Well, even in forty k, it's you know, it's uh, it has its dangers and everything as well. So he teleports in with 12 armed troopers, tells everyone to drop their weapons, and he's taking over the ship, and Varen's like, oh, no. And he's like, wait a minute. And so Kararin shows him the, you know, he basically, he got the black box off the Mistral. Yeah. And you see on the video footage, and Astartes from the, with Emperor's Children armor on, takes down the whole ship. And so he's like, you guys are traitors, here's the proof. You're all under arrest. Footage. Yeah, I got some very, I got some easily damning, perfect evidence against you. You could have pulled it off, except you did something so blatantly stupid as stand right in front of the camera. Yeah. So, but he buys it, and uh, so um, basically, Kararin arrests them. Rikishio can't explain what happened. Um. The white scars are like, oh no, it might be a trick. And then the guy from the mechanic, um, or the guy who the mechanic's like, oh no, it's legit. You, it's almost impossible to fake these. So this is legit. And so yeah. that's you know. <laughs> I wonder if that mechanic, those mechanicus people, were then in on it or just yeah. Like, hmm. Hmm, so, so of course, as soon as they say that, Hakim's people draw on on the emperor's children. And, just, you know, it's going to be a battle, but he's like, you know, they got it. Basically, they're arresting you. So Kararin's like, the white scars will help me arrest these emperor's children, and we're going to take them to the hold. Um, and that's, they take off. Meanwhile, Rubio's been sniffing around. And this is great. When they take these guys off, and he calls them, I found something. So they go and find him, and he's got a lodge medallion. This lodge medallion was pretty cool. It wasn't yeah. described like the other ones were. No, we've seen that um, different uh, lodges have slightly different medallions. Yeah. And but this one's got something extra, yeah. This one, it seems to change. Like the symbols seem to change in the light, going from maybe an eight-pointed star to a symbol that looks like a white scar symbol. 
uh, yeah. maybe, and then this other stuff, and it doesn't look normal. And they're like, well, we just, we know it was the Emperor's Children guy. We just, they just found it. He's like, no, this was in Hakeem's locker. Bum, bum, and uh, it's great because then, of course, Garrow says, oh. How's that possible? The white scars aren't traitors, and that really pisses off Varen, who's like, "Oh yeah, just like all the world eaters and death eaters, uh, not death eaters. That's Harry Potter. Like all the world eaters and death guard are traitors, right?" So girl's like, "Oh, yeah, fair so, point, fair point." Yeah, it's a bit, bit small-minded of him. But so then it, it cuts back to Garrow, and they're walking. He's like, "This isn't the right way." Oh well, there was some damage from debris from the ship, and. So now we got to walk through it. As he's walking, he's like, you know what? This is the absolute perfect spot on this entire ship for an ambush. Wah! And then they get ambushed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Garrow's warnings. It clicks in. Hey, Karar. Just, and that's when they jam him right there. Yeah, it's a pretty cool scene. Pretty it, good bit of battle porn. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, seriously, they... they, uh, they the Space Marines take out Kararin's 12 guards with him. They're just just—they're the first to go. Wipe them out. Then Rikishio, since they're not armed, they're, his next two in command go. Boom, boom. Then Hakim kills Rikishio. Um, all the EC, the uh, Emperor's children are dying. And Kararin, without it, just goes at him. Just yeah. charges. And just kills a bunch of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he causes extreme mayhem. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, he he is just that dangerous. It was kind of scary to watch him. It's scary to watch him work. Um, but then you get the whole scene where he calls them traitors. Oh no, you're a fool. Horace is the real leader. <laughs> and then they fire. I just I, I I keep hearing that Ming the Merciless. I keep picturing those old twenties and thirties, those Hollywood serials. You know that they would have in like. You know, like Rocket Men from the Moon and all the things that came in like fifteen different parts. Yeah, yeah, and I just keep picturing that. <laughs> that's like I get that like sci-fi villain in my head with that voice. I can't help it. I'm sorry, um, but this is where it gets really cool because after he wipes all of them out, Garrow and Rubio and them, they all run for the communications array. The astropaths are dead. The the all the communications people are dead. Stuff is all shot up. They're trying to go and see if they can get any information back. Yeah, uh, with um, the nature of the way communication works in 30K, with the distances relying on the um, astropaths and all that, then you can really control information quite easily, and that becomes quite an important thing in the heresy. Yeah, because basically at this point, you know, Hakim basically announces to the whole fleet... That the Emperor's children were the traitors. They they managed to kill Kararin and take down a few white scars before the white scars killed them. And now they got to stop all the other traitors, and they're taking over the the look. And this is causing other ships to panic because people are dying. So yeah, they absolutely. start yeah they start to run, and then the other, they they're getting shot up. So it's it's getting crazy. But uh, after all that announcement, they're in the communications room. And Hakim comes over the comes over the speakers. You're so predictable. <laughs> and so he's not even there. He just sends a unit of a unit of white scars to go finish them off. And uh, 
And okay, and here he starts monologuing, typical bad guy fashion. Oh, and by the way, Varen, yeah, all your world eater buddies, they're all dead too. We got a hold of all of them. They're dead. Your friends. How does it feel to lead all your friends to their death because you couldn't didn't know how to stand with Horace? Well, he might have been trying to push Varen over the edge so that he broke. So it might have been he was trying to push him. So instead of going into his rage that he goes into, he goes into a rage that's uncontrolled and will actually work against him. Well, it didn't happen because, boy, this oh, was a this was an incredible Hulk moment. <laughs> you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Oh, big time. This is awesome, though, because he busts these guys up. Garo and Rubio try to follow, and they can't even do anything. They, like, pull their swords like, they got to stay back because he's just chopping up everything. They don't. They can't even get close for a danger of just getting caught in it. Absolutely. I yeah. love it. I flippin' love it. I love the world eaters. Um, so uh, he just wipes them all out, and then basically it becomes... Who gets who first? Whoever kills the other one, either we're going to kill the traitors and save everything, or the traitors will kill us, make up any story they want, and they'll get they could they could possibly get to Terra. Yeah. So um, now they're trying to figure out all this stuff that's that's you know sort of going on, and uh, Gara wants to go to a Stormbird, and uh, Varen's like. Uh, Varen wants to fight to the death. He's like, no, I'm angry. I want to fight. And Garrow's like, no, no, we got to run. And Varen's like, you're an idiot if you don't think they have every one of those things marked. You're not going to get within 100 yards of that thing. So basically Rubio comes in as the middleman. And um, when he does that, you know, he's like, wait, I've got a better idea, but you have to follow me. No time to explain. Garrow, before this, basically talks... I like the speech that he takes to, to talk Varen down from the let's just yeah. stand and fight until we die. Yeah, you can understand. Yeah. You can understand Varen's point, and Garrow's like, no, this guy's a a good tool. I can use him, and, we, or, and he can get his his own back. Yeah, yeah. We're, we, we have to survive to be the voice for all these, all the people who were wronged here. And so... Uh, it's great. So they follow Rubio, and they're going down, and he's like, I've got to, you know, before before this soul is gone, I have to get there. And so he's trying to get down to, and they they find Kararin's body. And Garo is so mad because he's like, every time, you know, this Astartes killing Astartes thing. Yeah, it's still new. Yeah, and it's it's so, it's just, it. I mean, and I, and I understand why he's so enraged by it, but it's just, it sets him off. This is not... Our way. This is so shameful. I mean, on, on a group that pride themselves on their honor and their abilities and what they are, to see this sort of shameful display, this sort of you know dishonorable display from their own brothers, who you know, it's it's I, every time it comes up. If it, this is one of the times it comes up. It comes up a lot, but it can, it was really good. I liked it here. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, it was handled well. Um, and that's when the White Scars show up, and, and Garrow wants to know why, which gives he, Hakeem another chance to monologue. 
And here he basically comes. He says, well, dude, you saw what happened in Istvan 3. You think Horus is going to be stopped? Look what he's willing to do. Yeah, we've seen... Um, we see here he gives similar reasons to Horus about, you know, you know not going over to bureaucrats and all that, blah, blah, blah. Right. But that, that final tipping point is, I've seen what's happened here. <laughs> I'm not betting against this guy. Yeah. I mean, he looks down and says, we're warriors. We're going to be warriors of one clan or the other. It doesn't matter. It's, uh, there's a bit of nihilism to that, which it doesn't matter what side I'm on as long as it's the winning side. Um, yeah. Which, you know, it's just that's, that's such a foreign concept, <laughs> I think, to some people. Because Garrow's just like, no, that's not how that works at all. Yeah, abs- yeah, yeah. This you know, guy, he, he wants his preservation of himself. So... But that goes on, and Varen just pulls his sword, and he's like, that's it. Uh, Rubio is fighting several guys. Varen and Gar are both fighting Hakim, and it, it's a vicious fight. Hakim pounding, starts pounding on Varen because Varen's gotten so many wounds now from just rushing into combat and just ignoring everything. Every scrap, every scratch, every scrape, every cut. He's like bleeding profusely. He's like, yeah, I don't even notice. Because he's in his, his, his bloodlust. But that's taken its toll on him finally. So uh, as Hakeem almost is about to kill him, Garrow steps in and stops him. And yeah. Hakeem's like, ah, okay, I'm done playing with you. Guns! Which <laughs> you're just kind of wondering why it didn't go to guns first. But if it went to guns first, we wouldn't have these cool sword fights. Yeah, it's also very personal. Yeah. Fighting. It's all, you know, as we talked about on Isfan um, 5. They want to make sure they want to know. They want to deal the blow there and then. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, and then he's basically got them with the bolters ready and monologuing just a little bit again, sort of getting ready. <laughs> now we've won. and we wait. What is that in your hand? And then Rubio has found Kararin's teleporter. Yeah, because it would take too long just to say teleporter. Yeah. As they were running down. Yeah, but that was you know you, you had to at least not know what they were going to do, and they totally misled you by saying I have to get there before the spirit's gone. Oh well, that was your beacon. I thought you were actually going to do something, but whatever. Um, so they go back to the Nordlandia, and as soon as they get on the Nordlandia, Garrow's like, "What do we do?" Uh, and the, you know you can see the ship is getting ready to to, to run. Um, and as he stops there, it's you know that wasn't my ship; that was Varen's ship. So he's like, you know what? It's up to you. Do we go in there and grab them all and bring them to Terra for trial? And Baron's like, mm, no. <laughs> and they vaporize the ship. Yeah, I think yeah, there's no point in having a trial there. <laughs> no. But, um, I mean, because at one point in that, they were like talking to um, Hakeem, and he was all, he was starting to consider it. Um. And then he's like, "Well, I've sworn a blood. I've sworn it on blood." And we yeah. see in one of the um, much later books that you know the blood oaths are a big thing for them, right? So that doesn't go away. Then you get the epilogue, and there's Garrow back on the moon. He's talking to Rubio, the sigilite. Shows up. I love when Malkador shows up, and basically tells Malkador what happened. And um, two really cool things happen here. Varen, Varen comes in, and he's basically like, 
I think you should join us. And so uh, this is this was cool only because the sigilite didn't say recruit this guy, but Garrett recruited him anyway. He's like, yeah, no, we need this guy. Yeah, but he accepts his judgment. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I can use him. Uh, so they offer him the, the ghost armor, as I keep calling it. I don't know why, but... Um, it looks, you know, they keep saying it's nondescript. The color of ghost was from the first one, so that's what I always call it. But then I like how uh, the Sigilite says one of those ships actually got away. In all the hubbub, someone snuck away. Some, something got away, yeah. And he's like, and that's when the Sigilite's like, and I think that might actually have been, there might have been traitors there. How he knows this, I mean, you know, we can all just assume he, you know, hey, super psychic powers, how would he not know it? But well, he knows he knows where all these people are across the universe. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So uh, I guess it is that powerful. So, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Limited in maybe what he can do with it, but in that terms of being able to fire people, or whatever, like Professor X with um, with uh, Cerebro. Yeah, Cerebro, that's the one. Yeah, I guess so. And I just like because then this girl's like, "So is that our next job?" He's like, "Oh no, I got other people on that job." Yeah. So he's got more and more things going on. Exactly. This is much. It's always. I love the little hints that it's. It's always much bigger. Like we, you know, we even when we're reading this, we think we're seeing the big picture with the movement of all the giant legions and the parts and all the things. It's like oh, there's so much stuff going on here, there, and the other way that not even you don't even have a clue how big or how deep this goes. It's a small part of it. Yeah. So, and that's pretty much that. So. We get the story where he picks up Rubio, a story where he gets Varen, a story where he gets um, uh, doesn't get anything. No, Loken. Where he gets Loken. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and then the story when he um, gets turned down and threatened to be killed. You know that might have been my favorite though, because there's cool. there's. Yeah, there's three stories about cool missions with lots of cool fighting and good space marine stuff, and then each mission he's picking up another guy for this crew, and it's like, all right, this is cool. I kind of like this. It's sort of like the beginning of, uh, I don't know, something like a Magnificent Seven or something like this. You know, they're yeah. out there getting their their crew together of, you know, these are the guys that are going to, you know, singly they're not all that important, but together as a team we're going to be badass. And then this one's like, we want you to like, no, <laughs> no. Turned down, and I, I, I and I can't speak. I, I love when the Primarchs show up, but Rogel Dorn. I just I love reading about him. Like he just he kind of fa- they all fascinate me. I'm such a fanboy for this stuff. But no, like, they are. They're, they're all really well done. They're all good enough to draw you in. But you know, like I said, the only other scene you really had with him that you really had with him was the first time Garrow met him, and even in that short bit, you're like, wow. I kind of you get a feel for what this guy is all about, really well yeah. in that little bit of time. His persona, the way he talks from the beginning, the way he talks from later, the way he almost kills him but not quite. Yeah. And then you see him later, and he's just pissed. He's like, you know, and that, that's what was so great in this book. It was like the actual hurt that sort of came through on him, the distrust, the anger about it, and then come on, he just, I mean. Garrow gets threatened by Primarchs on, on a regular basis, you know? <laughs> or at least Primarch. No, he's been threatened by more than one, though. He's going to, uh, yeah, he stands up to them. Yeah. 
listen, I don't care what game the Sigilites playing. You pull this again, I'll kill you. Yeah. I'll kill you, and I will deliver you to the Sigilite myself. I am not playing games with you. It's just, I love it. I love it. So these were great. And um, I think on the whole, they make a great addition. Now, I've been told, and I'm not doing spoiler alerts because I don't know any plot points, but isn't one of the most recent Horace Heresy full novels, don't some of these guys show up in it or something from? Yeah, the uh, the Knights Errant turn up. Um, and there are other audios that um, around the Knight Errants as well, which out, which don't necessarily involve Garrow. Oh, cool. So, Grey Angels. to listen to. It's a Grey Angels and Knight Errant story. Oh, cool. Um, there is another Garrow coming out at the end of the year, which Jim... Um, Jim Swallows tweeted about. It's got some cool footage on it, uh, a cool picture on it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're an integral part of the story, um, although they're not, like, a major part of the story. That it's, it's they're, they're doing an important job, and they will reappear. I think Garrow's too cool for people to, um, you know, for them to back it off. Yeah. It's weird because, you know, it happens a lot in television and stuff or movies, you know, quirky characters get their own spinoff, you know, or people like them enough that a character that only had a couple of bit parts in a few episodes that gets such a, a strong crowd reaction that they become their character actually gets written in as, as, as a major part now. Yeah, I, I mean, Garrow was always right from the Eisenstein was set up into this role of the um, Knights Errant. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, it's just a cool way to bring it in. From a guy like me who, I mean, I don't know if he was in the, the, the I mean, was, did anybody know who this guy was before they wrote Flight of the Eisenstein? Like, was he a major part in anything other than? I think, just going off the top of my head, I believe that Garrow was mentioned as being the guy who brought uh, Back to the Emperor, but I think that was about it. Um, okay. That that could be wrong, but that's as far as I'm aware. But yeah, I like how you know he gets that, and 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 then it they're like, well, this this worked out. We'll take these tales this way. And it was I just loved it. I really did. But now I'm rambling, and I just I should be letting people go because this has been several hours. Hell, they could have just listened to them all. They could be halfway through it by the time they're done listening to us talk about them all. Yeah. But did you have any final thoughts on it? Um. I say I love them. I, I do like the production on them. I like the bolters firing. I like the chainsaws revving. All that goes with it. I think they're, you know, it's nice to have that audio sensation of what's going on. Um, and, I mean, they've moved in-house now. They've kind of settled it down a bit. So I, I can't wait for more. I really do enjoy them. Yeah. No, they're, they're top-notch. Um, and I listen to a lot of audio books, and I, you know, I've listened to a lot of different audio dramas before. And, um, yeah, the production quality in this is, is pretty tip top. Like it really, it fills in well. I do enjoy it. I can't recommend it enough for, uh, for people who like this sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, um, folks, let us know what you think and, um, we'll be back in a few more weeks with, uh, your guys' reaction and, uh, Hey, any idea what the topic is going to be for, uh, your little mini topic, or are we going to have a mini topic? I haven't thought about that yet. All right, then I'll just cut that. <laughs> no, 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 leave it in there. Okay. <laughs> if, if anyone's got any uh, more ideas about things they want to hear, then um, 
let me know. I'm not going to guarantee we'll talk about those specifically, but certainly take them on board. Yep, that or it'll just be a shorter feedback episode. I'm easy, but yeah. <laughs> and then we're back with uh, Legion, and I'm still I'm 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 so hung up on this one. I should be on my I should have finished that and been reading the next book and taking notes, and I'm barely cracking this one. I don't know why because I remember liking it a lot. I'm just hitting a weird uh, wall, but I've been doing a lot of hobby lately, so maybe that's have, that's the part of it. Fair enough. So, all right, folks, um, we will be going, and that means that until we see you again the emperor protects death to the false emperor congratulations on completing another episode of after eleanor david and greg would love you to come and chat some more about the horus heresy in the forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or on the facebook page just search for after eleanor you can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Eleanor, at Child of Fang for Greg, and at Garage Hammer for David. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net, and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening, and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect you.